This episode of the MJ Cast is brought to you by Audible, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With over 400,000 downloadable titles, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoir, news, business, and self-help. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash the MJCast and sign up for a one-month free trial and to get your free audiobook. Show Audible and the MJCast some love. That's audibletrial.com slash the MJCast. The following is a presentation from the MJCast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I want to see you! <laughs> I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass. You become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. <laughs> Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the MJ Cast. I'm your host, Elise Capron, signing in from Studio San Diego. And today I have our co-host, Damian Shields, longtime friend of the show, journalist, author, Casio Tracks expert, lots of other amazing things. Damian, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Elise? I'm really good. I'm good. I'm right in the middle of summer here in San Diego. It's hot as heck in this room where I'm recording. (laughs) I'm good. Are you sweating? I am sweating a little because, you know, I decided to follow Jamin's rules and I don't have the air conditioner on. So and I'm in the exact same position as you. I (laughs) it's winter here and I would normally have the heater on and I don't have that on either. So perfect. (laughs) I know it's nothing to you Australians thinking about how the rest of the world thinks you guys are strange, but I will never get over the fact that it is winter there. (laughs) I mean, the daytimes are not winter. You wouldn't even remotely resemble winter. Mm. You can still go to the beach. Of course. Yeah, I swam in the ocean yesterday and I'll I'll do that again today. But overnight, the temperatures still do get low, so... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you really have become our regular co-host for our news episodes, which is what we're going to be diving into today because we have so much to get through. So I really love that you've been our presence on our show for these episodes. So thank you so much again for joining us for that. Happy to be here. Yeah. And then the last time you were on the show was back in April. And I know at the time, the, you know, lockdown around the world was still kind of a new thing for a lot of us. And now recording this on July 3rd, a few months later, how is life for you these days with COVID and other stuff as well? Well, you know what? I actually haven't left the house since the last time we recorded. Oh, wow. Seriously. Like the only time I leave the house is to buy my groceries or to go to the beach for a swim or to go for a run and, you know, get an hour of fresh air and and sunlight. I've pretty much been locked in the house staying home. I quite like that isolation style of living. So for me, it's perfect, but I know that it's definitely still causing havoc with a lot of other people's lives, with businesses that are now trying to reopen, that are starting from scratch again. And there are a lot of rules that are still imposed here by the government with limits to the amount of people that can go into certain venues and things like that. So it's not normal life yet. There are still plenty of rules, but... I mean, and I'm not living my life because I'm 
forced to. I'm choosing to do it like this. <laughs> I've chosen to just stay home and work on creative projects and I've got a few things that I'm working on that hopefully I can talk about in the future, but I won't talk about now. But yeah, I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying the new perspective and the new priorities that I have for my life because of what's happened. The situation is, mm-hmm. is, is awful, but Australia has been pretty proactive. I think even to this day, we have only had like 103 or 104 deaths from COVID-19 total, mm-hmm. which is like wow. 10% of the number of people that are dying per day in places like Brazil and even the United States, depending what day it mm-hmm. is. So, right, yeah, we've been hugely strict here, but it's been, it's worked. It's paid yeah. off. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, here in California, we, I think initially we thought we were handling it well. And then it's turned out that once the regulations loosened even a tiny bit, none of us could apparently follow any rules. So now it's a big mess again in Southern California. We may have to go into lockdown again, uh, especially this weekend with being a holiday weekend, 4th of July. We'll see what happens. So. <laughs> yeah. But I do hope that all of our listeners have continued to stay safe and happy in their homes or whatever their lives are like these days. We're thinking of all of you. Um, what a strange year this has been. And, you know, we'll we'll get through it eventually. So. Amen. Yes, indeed. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our news. Now, I do want to say that so much has happened lately. It's really crazy that we we had been really fully focused on our History 25 um, celebration. And we've done we've done a lot of exciting episodes. If you've missed any of the last few episodes, please do go check them out, especially the most recent episode, our History 25 roundtable, which is amazing. Oh, my gosh, it is like skyrocketed to my favorite MJ cast episode ever there. As Jamin said, there are mic drop moments every four minutes through that three and a half hour episode. It's incredible. We also brought on some new voices for that episode, which were a lot of fun to get those new perspectives and hear from some new people. So please do be sure to listen to that one. Damien, have you heard the History 25 roundtable yet? I think I've listened to it about four times. Um, oh, good. <laughs> and for me, I'm, I'm discovering something different every time. I listened to it. Obviously, it's quite long. It's about three and a half hours, um, but you need that amount of time to kind of cover the ground. And if I'm listening to it, you know, while I'm around the house, maybe I'm, you know, making a cup of tea or some food or doing the laundry or whatever, there are like half seconds, split seconds that you get distracted by what you're actually doing and, and stop listening for a split second without realizing it. And the next time you listen, you realize that in that split second, like you said, there was a mic drop that you missed, like <laughs> you discover it the next time. For me, those roundtables, the, the History 25 roundtable and the Dangerous roundtable that the MJ cast also did, uh, for me, in my personal opinion, they're the two best pieces of analysis on Michael Jackson's work that you can find anywhere on the internet. And like any work that anyone's done, they're my favorite. The podcasting medium is the perfect way to have those discussions because you can hear the passion in people's voices when they're talking about it. And the insights are just amazing. Like for me... The History 25 one was phenomenal, and if people haven't already heard it, go back and listen to the Dangerous one as well. It's a two-part mm-hmm. a two-part roundtable around the, yeah, the 25th anniversary of the Dangerous album. It's absolutely incredible. I totally agree, and it's so nice to have all of these, like, 
amazing perspectives on record too, instead of lost in Twitter threads that we may not find again. So I love that we really can create this true recorded um, legacy of these amazing iconic albums by an amazing iconic artist and so many brilliant fans. I mean, I feel so lucky to be surrounded by incredible, incredible people with these encyclopedic knowledges of Michael Jackson tracks and and history and information um, and just feel really lucky that everybody is able to come to this forum and share those thoughts. So, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you are among those people, Damien. So we're so grateful to have you in on our team too. So thank you for everything you do. Mm, happy to be here. Yeah. So that is to say, we were initially just totally focused on our History 25 series. We do have some more exciting stuff coming up. So be sure to keep listening. But we have so much news happening that we worried that if we delayed doing a news episode any longer then we'd end up having like a six hour episode this summer. So we want to get through some of the exciting stuff, some of the big stuff, some of the dramatic stuff that's been going on the last couple months. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into our first item. So this is back from a month and a half or two months ago, but there is some new footage from the Bad World Tour live in Los Angeles from 1988 that has leaked online. We will have a link to this and every new news item in the show notes as always and that was pretty fun to see Damien did you get a chance to watch this Yep, I watched it when it came out and I watched it about 10 minutes ago before we started recording as well obviously it's just a short clip it's about five minutes but it's beautiful Michael looks so happy he's got the biggest smile on his face his dancing is I mean every single time I see something from tour footage I don't know how much detail people watch this stuff with but for me personally I kind of even a slight nuance that's slightly different to something that he's done before every single thing looks different to me every time I see it and so there's plenty of little nuggets in there for me of just just different ways he's moved his body and different interactions he's had with his band and it's for me you could release every single bad tour show that exists and I would find a point of difference in every single one to enjoy separately from the other so for me beautiful Yeah, I totally agree. And it's been interesting because my head has been so focused and steeped in all the history stuff this this past month or so. That's really what I've been thinking about. So to kind of I went back to watch this. It's a five minute clip of kind of towards the end of the concert. I went back to watch this again today. And just to kind of be thrust back into the bad era, Michael Jackson, and just the joy him at his peak in his element, the joy amongst the band members on stage. It's a real pleasure to watch. I could do with probably a little less Sheryl Crow. Yeah, but uh, but that's okay. (laughs) Everything else about it is great. Be sure to check it out. Um, We'll have a YouTube link in the show notes. Our next item is Single White Glove. Now, this is a remixer, I'm sure is all on all of your radars, right up there with Remix by Nick. He does an amazing job. Um, He put out a Heal the World video. And what's interesting about this, well, first of all, it's an absolutely gorgeous video. It's an extended mix of the song as well. What is interesting for me is to really compare it to the Heal the World video that the estate put out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> These came out at similar times, but they had a key difference. Damien, do you want to touch on that first? 
You're talking about the quality? <laughs> You're talking about how good talking, they are? I'm talking about a lot of things, yes. We can talk about the quality, um, but I also the would like to... The essence of them and the feel and the the intention and the, the amount of care and the amount of attention to detail and the amount of understanding of Michael Jackson that went into them. Yeah, so the estate version for me, it's so funny because they're very, very similar in a lot of ways. It's you get performance archived footage, you get images of just general stuff around the world. They both have a bit of a COVID-19 theme to them. And yet the estate version feels like a an ad for hand sanitizer. There's a lot of just clips of pe- literally people washing their hands or putting sanitizer on their hands that seem to have come out of just a general clip archive. Whereas in Single White Gloves video, everything is about who Michael Jackson was as a person, his love for everyone around the world and for children and his amazing performances of Heal the World. And then the end of the video is this very meaningful and beautiful segment dedicated to healthcare workers that, um, you know, taps into, of course, what's been going on now that has this really wonderful personal feel to it. And the estates just falls flat. So for me, looking at these two different projects just perfectly defines the reason why we get so disappointed with the Michael Jackson estate. On Twitter, I know some of our followers there feel that we're can be a bit harsh on the estate. And that's a whole separate discussion. But it's look again, looking at these two videos is a perfect example of why we get upset. They if they would go one step further Um, or bring on talented people who are doing really good work and who are committed to Michael Jackson's legacy, then they could put out material and that is meaningful to the fans like Single White Gloves video was. Yeah, you're touching a really good point there. I have two perfect examples of case studies that the, the estate could look at and say, we need to be more like that. And it's exactly what you said, it's bringing people in who understand the meaning and the message and and what they're trying to achieve with the material and 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 being able to execute something that actually will resonate with the fans of the of the artist and with the broader public because there's two different things like this you know the regular people in the in the public who may kind of glance at the video and not get too emotionally invested in it but then there are people like us who have been around forever now you're talking about the the fans that me for example in 2005 would walk the streets and hand pamphlets out to give people information about why Michael Jackson was extorted in 1993 and why they need to have an open mind about his 2005 trial. Like we're the people who've really been there in the moments where Michael was alive and we understand the essence of him. And so it can be very disheartening when you have an estate, a multi-billion dollar estate with unlimited amount of money and resources and they put so little care and effort into it. Every single social media post seems to have mistakes, blah, blah, blah. We won't go on too much about it. But (laughs) with the Heal the World video, I heard from somebody with a source directly in Sony that that video was created free of charge by somebody in three hours. And that was it. So Mm. uh, that's not me just saying what I think it looks like. That's what somebody actually told me from within within Sony. So... Mm -hmm. (laughs) three hours and just slap it online is not really the amount of investment that Michael Jackson and his cause is is 
worthy of. So mm-hmm. the examples that I was going to give of what the estate could look at to maybe base their operation on is there's a fan in the Michael Jackson community who's also a Lady Gaga fan who created a fan edit to promote the new Lady Gaga album and he was contacted by the the record company when they saw his video. They sent him a takedown notice and, you know, said that he couldn't have his video online but then they, they contacted him personally and actually hired him to create the online promotional videos for the official album. So, this person went from being just a fan who's wanting to celebrate the artist he loves and making some really incredible promotional videos to being working for the artist, creating those same promotional videos in an official capacity. Wow. The other example is the Prince Estate. They have an official podcast that's released by the estate and they have a journalist, an author, who's also a fan, a hardcore fan, who created a four-part podcast series to talk about one of their um, deluxe releases, the 1999 album. And for me, like, who better to work on something where you talk about the origins of songs and the anatomy of the craftsmanship and and the content of a new deluxe release than the person who has the highest level of emotional investment in it? It's the fan. So they need to look at the fans as someone, the people a little bit more than who's going to fill their pockets with money. Like we have skills, like there are people out there who are great in many areas and I think they should really consider tapping into that and I think that they'll see that there's some benefit there for them too. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Have you actually heard the Prince podcast yet? I listened to the whole thing. The four, I listened oh, to the have? four okay. parts of the the so they released a deluxe 1999 album right. I think at the end of last year and in order to give context as to what the bonus material is, where it came from, what Prince was doing in that moment, uh, what his creative space was, who he was working with. They had someone create a four-part documentary series interviewing the people who worked on the stuff and talking about Prince's career and where he was in that moment culturally and as far as being an artist in the music industry and blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was Really, really nice. And I'm not a huge Prince fan, but they put something out that for me was quality enough that it didn't matter that I wasn't a hardcore Prince fan. Like, I just really enjoyed their podcast series. And again, something that the estate should consider doing with what they have at their fingertips is that people who may not be huge Michael Jackson fans will still be attracted to quality things. They should never dismiss Michael's philosophy for perfection i should never dismiss that he really wanted to work on things and make them as good as they could be so that people around the world could enjoy them forever who's going to really look at that heal the world video even months after it was released probably not many people it's just it's not worth revisiting really single white gloves video is the one you want to revisit and that's the one that you'll revisit next year and the year after which video are you going to link people to the estate one or the single white glove one it's obviously this the single white glove one Yep, I agree. And the point you make about the Prince projects going on, um, I'm also only a very casual Prince fan. And, and yet, I want to go out and buy those this this deluxe box set that's coming out in September. I am so tempted to buy this stuff. And I have I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but I have it in my queue. And all this stuff that just leaks into my life because it it's so well done and has such a big presence that it 
forces itself into my, you know, <laughs> my consciousness. And it just seems like the estate just doesn't put anything out there to discover that's actually desirable to a mainstream audience, um, which is the only way that Michael Jackson's legacy is going to truly survive, you know, is if you do keep that mainstream audience engaged. Yes, the super longtime fans matter, of course. But, you know, if we get upset enough with the estate and to the point which a lot of people are now to the point of not wanting to buy their products you know where are you another 20 or 30 years from now <laughs> this it's yeah it's such a good point i guess they think they're doing that with their halloween cartoons and and getting that next generation in that way and releasing the same you know top 20 tracks or even just top 10 tracks over and over but like i I don't i don't want to harp on it too much but you you have made me think of a a thought that i actually Mm -hmm. discussed with jamin on the phone yesterday and it's something that's Mm. to me is really interesting when you think about the level of support that some of us myself included show to the estate or the lack of support and it makes me just think about what it could have been like let me give you a perfect example of of my fandom in the last decade or so. So Michael Jackson announces his This Is It tour and I purchased um, tickets to seven shows. Mm, Uh, So I was going to fly from Australia and spend a considerable amount of time in London seeing the shows. When he passed away, um, AEG gave you an ultimatum. They said you can either have your money back or you can have the physical cardboard tickets. So, but I think they put, they put a time limit on it and they said, you know, like you, you have to decide what you want, this or that, and this is when you have to decide by. So, I decided that because I wanted to cling to some feeling of, you know, th- that tour being a part of my life, even though it didn't happen, I retained the tickets and they were 150, 200 bucks each and I retained six of them. So that's, you know, $1,000 plus that I've given to AEG for a concert that I never saw. And I remember seeing news reports at the time that, you know, AEG had retained, I can't remember the exact figure and I don't want to give the wrong figure, but 40 to 60% of the tickets somewhere in that vicinity had been retained by the people who'd purchased them, which means that they had surrendered their refund, which means that AEG had kept that money. In that moment, like it didn't feel like it needed much thought. For me, it was like, I'm keeping the tickets. Of course, I'm keeping the tickets. I don't care about the money. Like, I want the tickets. Then five months later, the estate is doing a film about the rehearsals of the show that we would have Mm -hmm. seen with those tickets. I went and saw that film in the cinemas nine times. And it wasn't just me that I bought tickets for. Each time I went, I bought tickets for someone else, at least one other person to come with me. One of the screenings I went to, I bought 10 tickets for the screening and took a huge group of people. So I probably in total bought about 30 tickets to the This Is It film in the cinema. Remember, like to put this back into context, quick reality check, you're talking about someone who currently does not support the estate at all, will not buy anything they release. But I went and saw their film, yeah, nine times and probably purchased 30 tickets to it. Then the film came out on DVD and the album came out I didn't even realize this, but I was going through a box in my bedroom the other day, just looking for a household item, and I found all of this Michael Jackson paraphernalia, and I have four copies 
of the This Is It soundtrack album. I have two copies of the deluxe CD. I have one copy of the regular CD and I have one copy of the vinyl set. And I have a huge copy of the color book that they released. I think it's fairly rare, but there's this big color book that they released at the time and I have that as well. Then the Blu-ray came out and I got that as well, even though I didn't even have a Blu-ray player, but I just wanted to have everything. Fast forward to the 2010 debacle and they're, they've lost me forever. That's that's the kind of thing that has happened in the Michael Jackson fan communities. They've We aren't just people who say we hate the Michael Jackson estate and we refuse to support it. It's There was one moment in time where they had my full support and they lost it. They haven't done anything to regain it. So there is some work that they need to do in relation to that, you know. Just on This Is It alone, I probably spent $1,500 between the tickets I retained, the movies that I saw, and the copies of the album that I have. And that's ridiculous. I look at, I look at myself now and I think, you fool. But especially knowing like what the truth of the behind the scenes of the This Is It concert tour rehearsals were. Such an important point. I mean, everything the estate works towards is to get longtime loyal fans who will buy whatever comes out and you were that person a lot of us were those people I was that person a few years ago too until I got more involved in the fan community and really got to know people like you and and Charlie and and Jamin and Q and really was uh, my eyes were open through also listening to the podcast about the reality of a lot of stuff that I had never fully absorbed um, earlier in my life as a fan so it's a shame. It's a shame. I don't know if they will ever resolve that. But I think it's a really good point to think about because I do think especially when we get into Twitter feuds and things, a lot of people can um, kind of look at that, like you said, that hatred of the estate is just this black or white thing. But it has been it's something that the estate did over time. And that's really sad, I think. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a hatred. I don't have any feeling in my heart for them at all. Like there's no negative hate Sure. It's just that right. that they've. I'm just not interested in mm, the Michael right. Jackson estate because I I I know they have nothing to offer me. What do they have to offer me? Almost nothing. And they're not creating a sense of community. We have to go out and do it ourselves. I, exactly. But yeah. again, bringing it back to they should consider yeah. <laughs> involving the fans in what they do. We are the best at it. You know, look at the books that some of the fans have published. Look at some of the documentaries that fans have created. Look at like the things that the MJ cast have done. Like th- these are worthy of being official. Or imagine how much better they could be if they had access to the materials and the people and the collaborators and the personnel. Well, bottom line is, Estate, if you happen to be listening, you should have hired Single White Glove to do that video. He was already working on it. He had it ready to go. It's a beautiful video. It will always put yours to shame. <laughs> They wouldn't even need to hire him because they didn't pay the person who made it, who made their one. (laughs) I know. Okay, well, let's move on to our next topic. We still have lots to get through here. So there is a new Michael Jackson podcast out there. There have been a few kind of little ones that pop up now and again, um, in addition to the MJ cast. But this one, I think, will be around for a while. So... This is uh, primarily uh, put on by The Detail. This is a YouTube... I don't know if it's just the one 
guy or if it's a group of people doing the actual videos, but they're on YouTube. They do a lot of Michael Jackson related videos already that uh, have a big audience. And so now the detail um, host and MJ Fangirl, who's also a YouTuber and really well known in that sphere, have partnered up to release a new podcast that's called Michael Jackson Unspun. Um, They have put out a handful of episodes already. Their latest episode features Michael Bush's assistant, which is an interesting, you know, conversation to, to hear. So the podcast has a bit of a different angle than the MJ cast, for sure. They kind of approach it a little bit more as kind of with the, I think, YouTube perspective where we either do like news episodes or we really dig into to, you know, albums or history and kind of analyze things in that deep way. What they tend to do is look at sort of like a YouTube video would, they kind of look at specific topics and discuss, for example, why Michael Jackson fans are, you know, so passionate and, you know, dedicated and (laughs) go sometimes far beyond what you might see in other fan communities. Uh, They even talk about what it means to be YouTubers within the Michael Jackson fan community. Community. So it definitely has a little bit of a different angle. They're also doing a Michael Jackson uh, track battle through the show where they are putting different tracks head to head. And I am assuming by the end of the season, they'll come out with the top <laughs> Michael Jackson tracks. But yeah, so, you know, hey, we are totally encouraging of anybody else who wants to be in our in our little podcasting world. In my view, the more the merrier. Um, I'll be curious to see how their show continues continues to evolve. You know, I wish them the best on the the journey with the podcast. And yeah, I mean, right now, I think it's just about seeing how it, you know, continues to grow and seeing what they do with it. And Damien, have you had a chance to listen to Unspun? Yeah, I've listened to all of their episodes, actually. Initially, just curious, like, how different would it be to his videos? Because obviously, his videos are just detailed analysis of certain subjects. But for me, what I take from the detail is it's a little bit more it feels a little bit more like a fan conversation that you might have with your friend on the phone, but it's right. available to the public almost. It's a very kind of, um, like a, there's like a fantasy element to it. Like, you know, what would have Michael done and what would this have been like? And what do you think he was thinking? It's interesting. I think there's a place for all of these different styles of podcasts in the, in the Michael Jackson fan community. And that's evidenced in the audience, right? Like if people are listening, then mm-hmm. clearly there's people who want to listen because no one's forcing anyone to listen to anything. Like I said, I've listened to all their episodes. It's interesting to just hear how people feel about things that you feel a certain way about, but somebody else might feel a different way about. Very interesting. And I'm sure that's how people feel when they listen to the MJ cast as well. Like, oh God, what the heck's Damien Shields going to say about this? (laughs) And probably, you know, some people probably come here to, you know, try and get the latest thing that they can talk to their friends about. Oh, did you hear that? This person said this about that. And then it starts a new conversation with your friends like, oh, did you hear that the the detail talked about this in in his podcast with MJ Fangirl? And how do you feel about it? And what do you really think? And how do, you know... And it's just interesting to hear all the perspectives because I think it's important to hear other people's perspectives because that's the only way you can really open your mind to things other than what you think and feel. Uh, and you don't have to agree with them and you don't have to take on their opinion as your own, but it's interesting. I'm always open to hearing what people think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned in just the last few years, and well, I should start this by saying that um, 
for those of you listening who don't know me as well as, you know, Jamin or, or, you know, Q, who was also a co-founder of our show and on the show for five seasons, I came into the kind of organized fan community much later than than those guys and Damien than you. And so when I first discovered the podcast, um, it I think it was in maybe its second season at that point. So I was just a listener back then. I remember when I first discovered it, I was like, oh, these are my people. Like I <laughs> And I didn't have a lot of fan friends in real life. And I was feeling kind of alone, which I think is the case of a lot of of fans and and listeners to this show, too. And um, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about MJ stuff. So when I really discovered the podcast, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I just totally connected. But in the in the years since I've become a part of the more organized fan community, what I've really come to appreciate in a much deeper way is just the different types of fans there are out there and how that's all okay and great. And so I bring this up just because, you know, I do think that a podcast with a different format, like you said, just more kind of like looking at hypothetical situations and fan chit chat, that sort of thing. Um, that's great. That really may speak to some to some listeners. So, you know, if that appeals to you, go check it out and um, and let us know what you think we're we're all we're all we're all in this together it's all ultimately for Michael Jackson's legacy and I think if we can build those bridges and really work together towards that we'll all end up in a better place in the end okay so moving along our next item is regarding a new book now this is directly related to what we talked about in the fans creating some of the best books and other content out there there is a new book coming out on July 20th by Pez Jacks. Now, Pez, a lot of you guys probably already know. So he is an organizer of King Vinchin in London. Um, of course, not happening this year, like everything else. And then also has a big online presence, tweets a lot, runs a whole website. You guys know him. So in any case, he's done one book previously, I believe. I think this is his second book. And this book is called The Story of History. It looks great. This is going to be a deep dive into the album. It's going to have, I believe, some exclusive interviews or, you know, just uh, firsthand stories of the songs. It is also going to have, as the website says, stunning photography from the history era and firsthand accounts. So I think this should be pretty cool. And I'm excited about it. I have pre-ordered a copy already. It looks great. So again, just all for Michael Jackson's legacy. Damien, have you you had a chance to look at this online? Yeah, obviously it's not released, so I don't know. Um, right, I don't know like about it more than the description says, but it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And if there's a digital version of the book, I'm not sure if they're. I mean, the book's not actually out yet, so I think. Right. If there's a digital version, it probably won't be available until the book is available. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll certainly buy a copy of the digital version of the book the minute that it's available. I I already tried to buy a copy and I couldn't find one so when it's available whoever whoever knows whoever hears it first let me know and yeah i'll be i'll be buying a copy very interested always interested to hear from the intellectual fans who really put a lot of effort in to understanding michael's creative process and speaking to the people who were there with him when they created these pieces of of art these masterpieces because i mean i think there's no better way to understand the art than speaking to the people who created it together with Michael. So absolutely. And actually, we were going to talk about this a little bit later, but I'll just bring it up now because it's such a related topic. So 
Another great book on history is Bryce Najjar's book called Let's Make History. It's another fantastic, fantastic book that is really based on interviews of the people who were there. And um, he also has a new book that is coming out. I don't know the release date for that one, but it is called Blood on the Dance Floor, Let's Make History in the Mix. So that's another one to definitely check out. I have been able to see parts of that book already in advance. And Bryce has been on the show. You should go check out his episodes if you haven't heard him. We'll have to probably get him back on at some point for a little chat about this new one. But I can tell you that this is totally based on these really fantastic interviews with people. So you're getting these firsthand stories. And it really provides some great insight into the Blood on the Dance Floor album, but also kind of what was going on at the end of the history era as well. Nice. Looking forward to that one too. Yeah. Add it to my list. Yeah. <laughs> it's another one. Um, and then we have another book. This is our third book <laughs> in one news update to talk about. So this is a book that is recently out and I actually got the hard copy and have read it already. This is called Supervising Neverland, The Untold Stories. Um, it's by Dwayne Swingler. And Damien, I don't think you've had a chance to see this no, yet. No, right? I'm, I'm not familiar okay. with this one. So. I will focus on this one. So, so yeah, I just got a copy the other day. It's a short little book. You can read it in an hour. Dwayne was the supervisor of Neverland for just a really short period of time. It was really only about a month, five weeks to be exact, I believe. And it was in 2003. And it was his time there was only about six weeks before the Neverland FBI raid. So he was there, even though it was this little tiny bit of time, he was there during a very interesting moment in Michael Jackson's life. And so in this book, the reason he's written his story is, and it's really, it's only about 50 or 60 pages. It's very short, but is that he was really harassed by the media to get his, you know, the dirty truth on Michael Jackson at the time of the 2005 trial and and leading up to that. So I think this has come from his pretty bad experience with being bullied by the media and having his story twisted quite a bit. He wanted to finally get his definitive version of events down in the book. So the book is definitely worth reading for sure. You know, when I read a lot of like these books of people who worked with Michael Jackson or like at Neverland or whatever the case may be. It's kind of interesting to see the different angles they can take. Like some of them just, you know, really take this very, very strong perspective of just admiring, you know, Mr. Jackson and and that kind of stance, which is wonderful and just really nice memories. This book is not that exactly. This book, it's a little bit sad to read, actually. But the value here is that you get a very frank look at what it meant to jump in to having a a big, a major job at Neverland and being involved with everyone there and what that really looked like. And maybe some of the not as happy parts of that, like, and how do I explain that exactly? Uh, Some jealousy between employees, things like that. And then also quickly being booted out again. So you get this little tiny snapshot 
of maybe the temperature of Neverland at that time, how the employees were feeling, how Michael Jackson was acting. He's very frank about it. I don't really want to give too much away. I'm being kind of vague, I realize, but I think you kind of need to read the book to understand it. But it really gives some like insight onto just what he really was going through. And by that, I mean, I mean, Michael and the the way that I think just his life was at that particular moment. So I don't know. It's it's a book that's actually a little bit hard to read and t- even touches on some controversy, which I think I'm just going to let you guys read it and you can tell us what you think in the comments. I'm not going to go there right now, but it is definitely, it's definitely worth a read. It's a quick read. Michael Jackson is not treated as an angel. It's not glorified in any way. This is like really what it was to step into this world briefly and step back out. Um, I think that this is really only the maybe the second time that Dwayne has spoken about this. I think he gave one interview, which was completely used against him. And then he ended up actually being pulled into the 2005 trial, which was not a great experience for him. And he felt that his words were really twisted. Uh, But anyway, I'll stop talking about it because I'm going to end up giving away the whole book. So um, but do check it out. It's worth a look. I just think one thing that's really important to remember about these Mm -hmm. books that are are written by the person who experienced the moment. It's their narrative. It's their version of the story. And when it's not a book that's written by a journalist who doesn't really have a vested interest one way or the other, you know, a journalist will, uh, will talk to everybody and they'll kind of corroborate and fact check and find out what they can determine the truth to be. But when someone's writing their own book, you have to take them on face value and also with a grain of salt, I think. So it's just, that's an important thing to keep in mind when reading these books. But for me, like, they are some of the most interesting books you can read, regardless of how uncomfortable some of the stories are to to actually read and hear about. For me, it's my favorite style of book, I think. Books like Bill Whitfield's book, The Bodyguard, or even Frank Cassio's Mm -hmm. book, they're absolutely fascinating, but they're that particular person's version of events. And what a dear friend of mine once told me about life is that we all have our own narrative. And for example, in relationships, you can sit there with your friends and talk about you know your experience in a previous relationship. But if the other person who was in that relationship sat down with their friends and told their version of what that relationship was like, they're probably very different stories. And that just goes to show that we all have our own narrative and is one or the other true or false? Well, it's in the eye of the beholder. So how did he feel and what was his experience? This is the way he's going to tell it. So that's the perspective you have to take when you read these books that are not investigative pieces by uh, an impartial party when they're actually kind of, this is my story. Like you have to decide if you trust them or not really. So... Yeah, it's it's hard to say. And frankly, I'm still absorbing all the details here and kind of deciding what I think about it, which is why I'm not going to cast any sort of judgment. I do think that some of the book taken out of context could potentially even, you know, be a little 
damaging. But uh, but like you said, if you really look at it as one person's experience in the moment, then there is a lot of valuable stuff here. It makes me look at that time at Neverland a little bit differently. It adds to my understanding if I'm taking it in context of everything else I know and all the other books I'm reading as well. So but I do understand why Dwayne Swingler given what he went through with the media later on and with the trial, I do understand why he wanted to finally put his story on paper. So I totally support him for doing that. Let's jump to some June 25th activities. Um, On that front, before we dive into the news item, I do want to mention, um, as most listeners probably noticed already, that this year we didn't do a couple of things. Number one, we actually decided to skip our normal Vindication Day episode. And do not worry, that series will absolutely be coming back. We just really decided to completely focus our efforts on History 25 this year. The thing that we are retiring is our June 25th series. And it's not that we don't care about that day, of course, but we have really decided to put our emphasis on celebrating Michael Jackson's birthday instead of his death day. So I promise we're going to be doing really exciting stuff in August. In the meantime, though, on June 25th, Of course, we did plenty of stuff online apart from having an episode, but there was lots of other really fantastic stuff going on around the interwebs, including the MJ Memorial Day Live, which happened on Facebook on June 25th. It was hosted by the King of Pop Events Group, and we'll have a link to that page again in the show notes. They did some really cool interviews. They had a bunch of them. Just to name a few, they did interviewed Travis Payne, Jimmy Locust, Stephen Witsit, who was on our show just an episode or two ago, uh, and a whole bunch of others. So it was a really, really nice and emotionally powerful way, I think, to spend that day. So I have not been able to watch all these videos yet, but I can tell you that the team who created these, who one of them is, um, his name is, uh, he goes by Michael Dancer, and he's based in the Netherlands. He's an awesome Michael Jackson style dancer. He's great. And I think it's what he does full time, I believe. When then one other fan have been hosting all these videos, and they're just really clearly incredibly passionate about this. They put their heart into memorializing Michael Jackson on this day. So definitely go check out those videos if you can. They're all linked on that event Facebook page. And also on the Facebook front, which everyone has been fleeing lately, um, Jamin has also fled Facebook. So (laughs) I am officially our representative on Facebook for the MJ cast these days. There is a new group that's been around for the last couple months that I just think is doing great things. And this is the Michael Jackson Book Club. So again, linked in the show notes, you can link find them there. Uh, But they're doing awesome stuff. So they're focused on books, of course. And And having um, the authors of those books on for live video, they had Bill Whitfield recently, for example, they had Pez Jacks, all these people, and they're doing interviews. And then they're also really creating discussions on Facebook, specifically about these books and, and really kind of trying to dig deep into Michael Jackson topics through each of these books they focus on. So they're a great group. The organizer, Steph, is awesome and has been putting out lots of good content. So definitely go take a look at that. And I think we'll leave behind our book segment now to jump to another estate project. So this is focused on MJ1. This is the Cirque du Soleil show. 
really two two news items for this. Um, number one, they are currently set, we'll see if this happens, to reopen in Las Vegas in early August. So, you know, fingers crossed. But the bigger question, and, you know, see how this affects all of Cirque du Soleil, is that the entertainment group of Cirque du Soleil is now over a billion dollars in debt, and they are seeking bankruptcy protection. Now, there is an article that has been floating around saying that they have filed for bankruptcy, but our friend of the show, Serena, has, and thank you for Serena for all the information on this, has corrected that to clarify that it's bankruptcy protection, which I guess is a little bit different. Um, in any case, they have laid off 3,500 employees already, so it is a big deal. Apparently, they have and may potentially be closing the Blue Man Group, which is kind of sad. I'm a Blue Man Group fan. But apparently all of the non-touring shows are planning to reopen. So this seems to be more of an issue around kind of financial restructuring and not shutting all these shows down. I can't imagine that MJ1 will be shut down. That show is still sold out night after night. It's amazing. So I don't think there's anything to worry about. But you know, there could potentially be some changes with the Cirque du Soleil group. So we'll see. Um, Damien, did you ever get to see MJ1? I have seen MJ1. Yeah, I saw it in Vegas. Obviously, that's where it is. (laughs) Um, it's a really really good show Uh, it's one of the estate projects that I think is one of the 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 worthy ones one of the ones it's actually one of the things that Michael himself you know if you look at his handwritten notes he wanted to to have some kind of Cirque du Soleil celebration of his life and music so for Mm -hmm. me even just the idea of creating the show is is fine yeah for me it's a really good show I'd say it's uh it's about an eight out of ten for what I would what I would expect and want from a Cirque du Soleil production. But still, like I went with my um, girlfriend at the time a few years ago and there was like three different moments where she cried in the show. Yeah, like because the the emotion that they evoked in her with imagery of things around the certain social messages that Michael was sending through his music and the way they were represented in the show, they really struck a chord. So for me, like that's a really, really nice thing to be able to present night after night for people to come in and experience that there was more to Michael Jackson than just, you know, a dancing zombie or a guy who could walk backwards and forwards at the same time. There's a lot more there and they've managed to capture that in the show quite nicely. So obviously like being a super fussy, you know, nitpicking person, I could <laughs> I could tell you my list of things that I would change, but really there's no need for that. Like it's 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 a great show. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it multiple times. Um, No, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, the first time I saw it, it was my bachelorette party and my best friend and my sister surprised me with a trip to Vegas and going to see it. And I was such a mess the whole time. I was like crying the entire show. Like Q, the first Um, time he saw This Is It in cinemas, (laughs) you should have seen it. (laughs) It was great. I wish I could have been there. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Love you, Q. (laughs) No, I think it's fantastic. Like you said, I think it's the estate really doing something right. And, And I love that it, of course, it includes like the big hits. But it also, as I recall, like has like privacy and like songs that you know maybe the mainstream person wouldn't have heard as much so it really does expose the audience to all kinds of music and then ultimately like the idea of what michael jackson was really about and i think that's fantastic yeah the soundtrack is really cool i I definitely prefer the mj1 soundtrack over the immortal 
soundtrack. I mean, there's no officially released soundtrack for MJ1. I know. That's not a big deal for me, personally. It is a big deal. Like, I mean, I mean, you've been to that gift shop. Like, there is a flood of hundreds of people that who go through that gift shop every single show, every night. And the fact that they don't have a official soundtrack is ridiculous. But... You know, that's another complaint. So it would be easy to do because there's no live band for that show. That show is a playback show. So they could literally <laughs> just put the, the music that they have already produced out. But do people buy CDs these days? <laughs> like if you could stream it online, well, that would be cool. I don't know. Even if it's a digital album, yeah, people will buy that. that. Would be, you know? That would be fine. But that's like no brainer. You could put slap that up on Amazon tomorrow. Yeah. For me it's definitely a better soundtrack than the Immortal soundtrack, which is actually not a bad soundtrack as well. Like the, the music for the Immortal show is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um I I did not own the Immortal soundtrack until literally maybe like a month ago. And I finally bought it and it is. It's really good. Mm. I enjoy it. I don't it own it. Fun remixes. I have a copy of it, but I I didn't <laughs> it's uh yeah i bought it <laughs> okay well let's see moving along so friend of the show marcos cabota marcos has been on the show he came on the show right when leaving neverland came out and was amazing because he works in the film world and he had actually managed to see leaving neverland before anyone else had seen it before it had been released so he came in as our expert to really speak about it but he was on the leaving neverland roundtable right he got a preview copy in advance absolutely wonderful to have on that roundtable go back and listen to that if you want to actually i think on youtube that may be our episode that has the most views of any of our youtube versions of our episodes which is great i'm glad people have really listened to it and tuned in Uh, in any case marcos works in the film world he's amazing and he is making a documentary called Sonic Fantasy, which has just released a trailer. And it is incredible. You have to go check it out. So this documentary is really about making the world's best selling album. Do you want to take it from here, Damien, and talk a little more about it? Well, I don't really know about it. I only discovered it like a week ago. When I did discover it, I went and did a little bit of research online to see if the director had spoken about it because the website doesn't really have much information it has all the collapse very mysterious yeah it's i mean and that's nice too like you don't want to show your hand because there's every chance with these creative projects that in the production process they can change and and actually i i'm saying i hadn't ever heard about it until a couple of days ago i i had heard about it a while ago but i had known it to be a documentary about bruce wadeen which i think from what i've read online is either it started out as a documentary about Bruce Wadeen or Bruce Wadeen is like the Trojan horse to get the interviews with everyone who worked on Thriller because, <laughs> be, no, but really like without being too sassy, a lot of people don't want to do an interview about Michael Jackson because it's so easily twisted and it's so easily misused and a lot of people are just sick of having journalist after journalist after filmmaker after filmmaker contact them, you know, because these are the people that worked with him. These are the people that journalists want to talk to. I had this experience with Greg Fillingains, actually. I contacted him to ask him a, a fairly simple question about something I was working on. He just basically said to me, like, no, I'm done talking about Michael, goodbye, and hung up on me. And that was the oh. extent of our conversation. So I can understand why 
if you have access to Bruce Swedeen and you're going to make a film about him, his magnum opus is Thriller. The sense that I kind of got was that no one's going to say no to doing an interview about the work of Bruce Swedeen. But if the work of Bruce Swedeen, that's the kind of focus point of the documentary is Thriller, then you can essentially make a documentary about Michael Jackson's Thriller album under the premise of a documentary about Bruce Swedeen. Which is very intelligent. I think it's actually very smart. And t- to be honest, like creative people don't necessarily know what the final product of anything is going to be until they hit release. So these interviews could be used for any purpose. I think it's a really smart tact because Thriller is a really interesting Michael Jackson album that often doesn't get intellectual study because it's the biggest selling album of all time and it had seven top 10 hits and it was number one for 37 consecutive weeks and blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all a million times, but what about the anatomy of it? What about how it was created? Like that album that did all that was made by human beings, was made by Michael and his team. So to hear from those people will be amazing. It'll probably be one of two highlights for me for the Michael Jackson world for 2020 the other one is going to be another discussion item in the show so but this one will be something i'm like the most looking forward to if it comes out this year yeah it'll be a huge highlight for me the only thing is that i'm not sure whether they're going to use the music in the documentary which you know could be something that's maybe missed but the way that the director talked about that in the interview that i read was that these stories are the centerpiece for the documentary like the music is actually not super important and they have been able to recreate certain parts of the music by bringing in Michael's collaborators to play things on piano and things like that to demonstrate how something sounded but he doesn't seem to think it's going to be an obstacle if the estate doesn't authorize the music and I agree like I'm, I'm happy to hear the stories from the people who were there if I want to hear Thriller I can just go and play it right I've got like I've got like 30 copies of it so what about you what are your thoughts on it how long have you been familiar with it what do you understand it to be well we we've we've just been seeing the little you know tiny teasers come out and stuff so i really don't know much more about it than you do and bruce swedeen is at the focus of the trailer so i think everything you're saying is really interesting um in terms of kind of figuring out what it really will be because the description does talk about it kind of being the story of Thriller and the big and the biggest selling album of all time. So, um, so I don't know, but I have lots of trust in Marcos. He's a good guy. He is a dedicated to Michael Jackson's legacy and the truth around Michael Jackson. So I have full trust in him on that front. And then also just as an, an amazing filmmaker. So we'll see it. I think it's coming out in September, I believe. I'm imagining that it will be available on whatever digital platforms. We'll find out and report on that when it does come out. He did mention that in the interview that I read. It was a, it was a foreign, it was a foreign language interview. I can't remember which language, possibly Spanish. So I had to like get it translated and everything to actually read it. And obviously when you translate, you're going to have some things that are lost in translation, but it, I think it translated fairly right. well. And he addressed that. He said that they don't have a platform yet. Like they okay. haven't, it hasn't been bought by Netflix, which a lot of people are talking about. Like obviously it'd be wonderful to have it on Netflix. And you know, if they could, mm-hmm. that would be a very, very good platform for it to be on. But at this point, they're still focused on finishing it and finding a home for it. So, um, yeah, it doesn't have a platform yet, but I'm sure they'll tell us as soon as it does because, yeah, 
You can't tell somebody something that you don't know yet, though. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Marcos, we wish you the best. We're cheering you on. We're all your fans. And we're excited to see how it turns out. Yes. Um, so why don't we take a quick break right here to chat about our brand new sponsor here at the MJ Cast, which we could not be more excited about. That's because it's a company which we know Michael Jackson fans are going to love, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoir, news, business, and self-help. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as bonuses like guided meditation programs. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. You can listen across devices without losing your spot, which is pretty cool. And if you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on whole series if you'd like. Now, some of you may know that I work in book publishing. I've loved reading my entire life. But as my schedule has gotten busier, it can be really hard to find enough quiet moments to sit in a cozy couch with a novel. For the last several years, Audible has been the perfect solution for me. I listen during my work commute, when I walk my rescue dogs, or when I'm cooking dinner. I feel like I can keep up with the latest bestsellers while still getting everything else done. I'm also a huge fan of Audible Originals, which I get for free every month. A lot of them are shorter format books and stories, and almost more like podcasts, but they release full-length books for free, too, as part of this program. I recently really enjoyed listening to the audio version of Jermaine Jackson's memoir, You Are Not Alone, Michael Through a Brother's Eyes, and I'm planning to check out Howard Bloom's audiobook, Einstein, Michael Jackson, and Me. If you heard my interview with Howard earlier this year, you may want to check out his audiobook to hear the rest of his great stories. The thing I love about Audible is that it helps you get your time back. A recent Pew study found that 27% of adults are now saying that they haven't read a book in the last year, which is up from 19% back in 2011. As a publishing person, I'll admit this kind of depresses me. This lack of time is the main reason why none of us are getting books read anymore. And Audible is your solution. You're listening to this podcast because you love learning, and listening to an audiobook is a similarly great experience. So head on over to audibletrial.com slash the MJCast and register for a one-month free trial. You're going to love it, especially if you make your free book something Michael Jackson related, like Jermaine's book or Howard Bloom's. So head on over to audibletrial.com slash the MJCast right now and sign up. And thank you, Audible, for sponsoring the MJCast. So jumping back into our mega news episode, our next item is a series of newly released archival interviews with Michael Jackson's children that have been released as a YouTube channel. It's called Jacksonology. And these were interviews that were apparently created for a canceled documentary about Jackson and then have now been made available. So um, they're really really, really wonderful and quite touching. And Damien, you've spent the most time with these. So why don't you go ahead and let us know what you think? I actually watched all of these interviews immediately before we started recording today. So they're all quite fresh in my mind. And I'm actually blown away by how good they are. These It's a series of interviews with what I've seen is the three kids, Michael's three kids. They're filmed in 2012. So at the time, Prince was 15, Paris 14, 
and Biggie was 10, I believe, or approximately in those age brackets. My first takeaway was that I was astonished at how mature and how insightful those kids were for their age. I don't know what I was like at that age, like, but I can't imagine if you sat me down in front of a camera and asked me detailed questions about my life that I would be able to give you such insightful answers. I was very, very blown away. They're very articulate. They're highly intelligent. And some of the, the topics that they cover and the questions that they asked by the filmmaker, I guess, or the journalist who's scripting what she wants them to speak about are really, really intelligent questions too and very, very sweet and sensitive questions but also questions that allow them to speak about things that may not be the easiest to talk about but the the filmmaker is giving them like this beautiful safe space to answer and they open up really nicely and there's just so many different moments where I'm like, wow, like... That's something I've never heard before. And these videos have been online for a couple of months now and I'd never even heard of them until you sent me the show notes about what we were going to discuss in the episode. So I can't believe that they've managed to be online for two months and for me to have never even known about them. But they're amazing. And the same goes for me. I only just discovered these, so I don't know why they haven't gotten more attention um, than they have. But also I think kind of putting into context and like, so 2012, so these kids, you know, their dad had died, what, three years before, which in kid time, they've got to still be pretty raw at that point. And they are all, like you said, just so articulate and wise and down to earth. I mean, also for the the lives these, these kids, you know, led this larger than life <laughs> existence, their family dynamics, and the for me, also the closeness you can, you can see and kind of even just through their stories kind of understand like between all of them is really remarkable and just gives me even more respect for where they are now and what they're doing. I mean, these kids could have ended up just either all going into black holes and never emerging again and living on yachts somewhere (laughs) or being total messes. And they've all had to grow up in the public eye. They're all emerging as just incredible people. And you can see that already, that foundation in these videos. Yeah, yeah, they're they're amazing. And there are some really, really interesting little kind of nuggets of information that, that I was really quite surprised about. One particular thing that I noted down as I was listening that I wanted to mention was that Prince talks about how during the middle of the night, his dad would wake him up with when he would have a song idea and it would be in a moment where he didn't have like a production crew kind of on hand ready to work with him if he was just, you know, having downtime. But then an idea came to him. He would wake Prince up, according to Prince, in the middle of the night and Prince would go on the computer or whatever technology they were using in in the house. And he he specifically says he would record his dad like creating a beat in GarageBand. (laughs) And I just thought it was like so amazing. Like, can you imagine just being the child of the world's most famous musician? And that musician is just regular dad in pajamas, you know, making breakfast, playing with the dog, whatever else, lounging around the house off to bed and then in the middle of the night 
king of pop mode kicks in and he's got some idea that he wants to put down on tape and <laughs> he has no one else there with him other than his kids. So he wakes you up and you're in garage band trying to record the greatest entertainer in the history of music coming up with some beat idea. It was just a it was just a story that blew my mind. Like, oh my god! Like, how could you imagine that situation and being this kid who is put in that position? Like, crazy, absolutely crazy. But it was beautiful. He talked about. Imagine. <laughs> he talked also about Michael's um, philosophies on religion and the universe and a higher power and many many different like philosophies on how to be the best person they could be in their education, talking about how Prince talking about how Michael educated them and even just the, I don't want to give too many spoilers away. I I would highly encourage people to go and watch them. For me, it was just phenomenal. Like go and watch them. I don't want to talk too much about what's in them because obviously the kids tell the stories better than I can. Blew me away. Totally blew me away. Just especially, like I already said, especially because of their age at the time these interviews were given. They were so young yet so mature it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i've i haven't gotten to finish every single episode yet i've only seen like the first half of each one so i'm definitely planning on going to watch the rest again those will be linked in the show notes like everything else so jumping forward to the kids today the Soundflowers. this is paris's or now pk she's mostly going by paris's band with Gabriel Glenn, they have done two big things just recently. Number one, they've released their debut EP, which we'll talk about. And they have also released a docu-series. The first episode is out. It's streaming on Netflix through the summer. And it's called Unfiltered Paris Jackson and Gabriel Glenn. And it really is being advertised as a very raw look at who it's partly about their band, but I would say primarily about Paris, who Paris really is, what her feelings are about everything, how she has grown up in the world, who she is these days. She's very frank about a lot of things. The first episode is only, I think, 18 minutes long. And it's a bit, I think, of a teaser episode and kind of, we don't get too deep into anything yet, but I think we will go a lot deeper. And it's a really interesting interesting little glimpse. I mean, once again, it it kind of gives me even more respect for where Paris has come through, what she's been through, her earlier trauma in her life, dealing with being the daughter of such a famous person and the really wonderful and really difficult things that come along with that. Her connection with her family, her connection with her brother. I think the bond between Paris and Prince is very clear in this uh, little short documentary and is really amazing. I mean, they clearly have this relationship that just is totally beautiful and strong and organic and I think leads to just them both doing really good work and supporting each other and yeah I enjoyed it a lot what did you think Damien yeah I haven't heard the music I haven't um, played the EP but I've seen the first episode of the docuseries I thought it was beautiful actually I thought it was just a, a nice insight into the world and and mind of Paris Jackson where she is in this exact moment today because we're all evolving beings and who we are last week isn't exactly the same person as who we are today and isn't necessarily the exact same person as who we're going to be next week. So, yeah, it's a really nice glimpse into where she's at right now. And, yeah, I'm happy for her. She seems happy. So how how could you be anything other than happy for her if she's happy? That's it for me. Like, 
I don't want to get too analytical about her because she's her. She's living her life and that's perfect. Like she is the only one who gets the chance to live her life. Meanwhile, we all get the chance to live our own lives. So if she's got a smile on her face while she's doing her thing, then that's perfect. That's all you could ever ask for, for anyone in the world. So totally. I agree. I'm, I'm a big advocate of Paris. I, I really admire her and She's been through some rough moments, but I think she's coming out to be an, an amazing person. And on the, the EP subject, so I have listened to their album. Um, I think it's awesome. In fact, I apparently, at least last time I checked earlier today, I'm the only person who has reviewed it on Amazon yet. So if you have purchased it, please go review it on Amazon and give it five stars if you agree. Um, no, it's beautiful. I think it's five songs. Uh, it's dreamy it feels I think I described it on Amazon as like it feels like a summer SoCal day it really does it's lovely lovely music you can tell that she's passionate about it um it just seems very true to who she is and again I just really admire that she's getting out there and and doing what she wants to do so yeah totally check it out they're doing great things I'm hoping those sound flowers both of them Paris and Gabe um or PK and Gabe have been doing some shows in the LA area which unfortunately I never was able to get up to any of those but I'm hoping that they will come tour around once that's allowed again and that I'll be able to see them beautiful so leading from that into something not quite so beautiful, there has been some major drama on social media just in the past 24 hours, also related to Paris. And this is, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this, but in case you haven't, this is between Sia, the musician and um, producer and everything else she does, and Paris. So two days ago, Sia tweeted from her account, which has something like 7 million followers. Dear Paris Jackson, I love you. Keep going. I believe you are a good person. Smiley face. This erupted into a huge, huge blowout. And Damon, do you want to take it from here and explain a little bit more of what happened? Or Yeah, well, so what happened was, I think, for the first day of eruption, it was the natural Michael Jackson fan defenders, you know, soldiers of love, warriors, whatever you want to call us, attacking Sia, of course, because that's what the fans do. They attack everybody who says something that's <laughs> that's not necessarily in line with uh, with what they believe should be said about Michael. And, and I th- thought it was a... I'm right there with them. I thought it was kind of a grotesque thing for Sia to have done because if you go back to the beginning of last year, she sent basically the exact same message publicly to Wade Robson and James Safechuck. It was basically the same tweet, but she'd replaced their names with Paris's name. And so for me, it felt like a massive slap in the face and an insult, like, like, are you a robot? Like, do you have emotions? Do you actually care? What was the point of you reaching out publicly to this person with this, like, zero thought has gone into this message, and it's the exact same format of this of the message you sent Michael's accusers a year and a half ago. So instantly, like, the outrage in the fan community was level 100, and probably rightly so, people calling her out and calling her a hypocrite and, and asking her to explain. And, and then a day later, Paris was dragged into it because she finally 
kind of logged onto Twitter and responded to Sia and said, oh, you know, it's funny, I was just watching one of your videos the other day and, you know, the fans then saw that Paris had kind of not really cottoned on to the fact that Sia had been a public advocate for Michael's accusers a year earlier and started kind of saying like, how can you say that? Like, don't you know what she said? And and Paris actually comes back and says like, I'm not up to date with gossip, guys. Like, I have no idea. Like, what's the problem? And then, of course, she gets a flood of, you know, this is what she said about your dad and blah, 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 blah. And so, the response, I'm going to read some of the tweets, which was Paris's response. And um, I'm going to kind of give my interpretation of them because I think that is there's a big chance that what Paris was actually trying to say has actually gone over everyone's head. People have missed the point and they've actually started attacking Paris for her responses. So let's just read her responses. So when people are saying like, how can you respond nicely to Sia given what Sia said about your dad? And she says, well, then I suppose it's a similar situation to the Nikki Six thing everyone ripped me to pieces for. She said, I'm a massive Motley Crue fan, but I don't condone or support some of the things Six has said about other artists. To further clarify, we all love Disney movies, don't we? They're the best. Walt Disney, as genius as he was, was also anti-Semitic. You can appreciate good art without condoning certain things the artist does. And the people of the world, of the Michael Jackson fan community, have basically gone after Paris for not attacking Sia and possibly misinterpreting what she was trying to say. I don't think she was trying to say, like, people are allowed to love my dad because even though he's a pedophile, which is, I think, the interpretation that people took from those statements. I think what she was saying is, I'm allowed to like Sia even if she said something that you all don't condone and that I don't condone, that that I don't even condone. She's saying, like, I don't condone what she said about my dad, but still I like her video. That's my interpretation of it, but the fans didn't want to leave it there. Fans were kind of attacking her about the way she had decided to respond to it. So she responds further by saying, my father's message of love and peace speaks for itself. Nothing can tarnish that. His legacy will continue and hold for many generations to come. Rest your heart and mind that this too shall pass. Like basically saying, forget about the bullshit that Sia said. No one's going to remember that. Michael's legacy is fine. Don't worry. And then other people kind of started going into their receipts, I guess, and linking her to ways that she has reacted to things in the past. And one of them mentioned a specific way she reacted to a TMZ article about her when she says, fuck you, you fucking liars. And so... This particular person says, I feel like you were more aggressive when it comes to what others think, but submissive when it comes to your father. And so her response to that was, well, that was over a year ago and I actually regret being so rude in that tweet. I'm trying to grow and find peace. If I am peaceful, I will live in peace. If I am angry and mean, I will live in anger and contempt. I do not want to live that way. I'm working towards serenity. And then, of course, people don't want to allow her to say that. Uh, people people were coming back to her with a response like, oh, I understand what you're saying, but 
you should stand up for your father. You should be so angry about this. You should be screaming and shouting about it. And her response to that was, I get, she says in quotes, I get that you're trying to stay mentally healthy, but dot, 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 end quote. She says, no, no buts. I'm sorry. You have every right to your opinions, but I'm getting to a place where finally my mental health and my inner peace comes first. She said, I will not lash out in anger. That is not the path I'm choosing. And still people didn't want to let her have that and kept on kind of going at her about it and and blah, blah, blah. She did give another tweet, which I don't actually have in front of me here. I don't know why I don't have it. But um, there was one more tweet that she said where something along the lines of some people choose to act out emotionally and say something without understanding what they're talking about, but that's not the way I choose to do it. Like, I'm not going to just go and get mad at Sia on Twitter. Like, she went and, like, emotionally tweeted support for James and Wade without knowing the facts. Like, and I kind of think that she was really smart about it, but I think it just went over a lot of people's heads and they couldn't see past the rage that they had for the situation and see where she's coming from in that moment where she's trying to say, like, what's the point of me screaming at her? That's just going to upset me. Like, if you're so concerned about my father's legacy and me and how that affects me and Jackson's and blah, 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 like, let me handle it the way that is best for me. He's not your father. He's my father. Like, you can't say you care about me, but then want to tell me how to live my life in a way that doesn't work for me. And, you know, seeing seeing her little um, episode of the you know, the making of her album and, and where she is at the moment and who she is and seeing her peace and how she's come to accept herself and find a nice way to live. Yeah, d- disturbing her serenity is kind of just, I think it's a little bit reckless of people. Like, I don't quite understand why people will behave like that. But, well, actually, I, I kind of take that bit. I do understand why people behave like that. I kind of behaved like that for a very long time about the Casio tracks. In the first, yeah, good, good comparison. <laughs> yeah, well, just yeah, just just, to, just to put that into context for anyone who's not aware. Yeah. So you know, when Sony and the Michael Jackson estate released an album that had three fake songs on it, all that I wanted to do for years and years and years about it was was scream and shout and and have anger and contempt for Sony and the estate. But not only that, anybody who didn't agree with me about how I felt, what my emotions were about it. I kind of was yelling at them to say, how can you not feel the way that I feel? Because I feel like this, so you should feel the same way because my emotions are the right emotions and you are this or you are that or you are not, you know, reacting the right way. Like, how dare you be you? You should be me. And it's taken me 10 years to get to the point now where education and stillness and inner peace and calmness is now what I think is the best approach. You can still talk about subjects and still engage in a conversation and still do your research and present the facts, but not scream and shout and belittle and try and tell people how to live their lives. Like, I'm going to live my life because I'm the only person who can control me and I have to live in my body. I have to spend all day with myself. I have to go to bed at night and sleep with myself and I'm the only person that I'm going to go through my entire life doing that with. So I have to do it in a way that works for me. 
and somebody else is not me. So I have no right to tell someone else how to feel, how to think, how to act, what to do. If something's really important to me, like the Casio tracks, then I have to do. And that's what I've done. You know, I've flown around the world. I've interviewed everybody. I've researched and researched. I've helped, you know, get that case into the courtroom and try and get some legal justice. But the me of 10 years ago would have felt that it was every fan's duty to do the same thing. If, if something doesn't move you in a certain way, then that's fine. Leave it for the person who it does move. And I think that's what the, some people need to kind of take that perspective to say, look, Paris has to do Paris the way Paris feels good about Paris. If, she, if something's going to make her more upset, then why should we expect her to do that? And, and that's just my assessment of the whole thing. But I totally understand why fans get emotional about it. But I think we all need to kind of take a leaf out of the PK peace booklet, take a breath and just accept that you're not her and she's different and she's going to do it the way she does it. So she didn't want to go into battle against a mega pop star. She just wanted to say, wow, I like your video and I watched it the other day thank you and not create some kind of hate campaign and feed into the negativity of the way the media would portray you know because you imagine if Paris starts fighting with her on Twitter what the media is going to do with that and actually in going back to that Jacksonology series of videos of interviews with Michael's kids from 2012 they speak a lot in that interview series about how Michael taught them to respond in those moments and Prince specifically says the words he always told them kill them with kindness he always taught them doesn't serve you a benefit to start screaming at them find your kind of most effective way for you to move through it and Paris says something really beautiful in there too she's only 14 when she gives this interview in the in the Jacksonology series she kind of just says like Someone asks her about how do you deal with the haters and how do you avoid the haters? And she said, you can't avoid them because everyone has an opinion and they're all going to express it. You just have to like learn to accept that everyone's different and that you can't change anyone. So lots of lessons out there. And I, yeah, I, I was getting a little bit frustrated with seeing kind of like what started out as being let's stand up for Paris and let's stand up for Michael to be turned into a, I'm so done with Paris. I, this is all over. I can't believe this. Like she's done some heinous act. Like for me, that's just, that's just ridiculous. So. Yeah. I, I think you, you said all the good points worth saying. I, I'll just add that. I mean, I'm as angry with Sia primarily as anyone. Um, some of the other tweets she sent in this exchange were just so condescending. Oh yeah, um, I'm not saying that oh, I'm not mad God. with Sia. Sia but, is a piece oh, no, no, of scum. I know not. We don't talk about yeah, Sia. She's, a she's monster. Disgu- that's yeah. just disgusting. But what I'm saying is that try- I'm just trying to give Paris's voice in the conversation and try to give some my perspective on how I think she tried to handle it and why. And I think that fans need to try to be a little bit more understanding of that and accepting of it because they're not going to be able to change it. So if you can't change it, just accept it because otherwise then you find yourself in a fury of rage, the same rage that you want her to be in, the same rage that's not going to be good for her and it can't be good for you either. So, but yeah. Well, yeah. You talk about Sia because her tweets were 
just awful. They were disgusting. Ugh, they're they're awful. They're just yeah. She's she's like she's they're just so condescending. She calls Paris a child, and these are all in the vein of being very nice tweets. She says, "I see you." as completely unique of your legacy, which is just barf. But anyway, my point is that, yes, of course, I'm in a rage at Sia. But I think it is um, along the lines of what you're saying, it is really kind of, it's understandable. But it's also sad that we're taking out so many fans are taking out the rage towards Sia by attacking Paris. And what is that going to accomplish? Is that do we really think that's going to suddenly, quote unquote, wake PK up? No, what that's going to do is drive her further and further away from wanting to actually like, you know, take a stand. I mean, you know, she's like you said, too, she's on her own journey. She's 20, what, 22 years old now. I think about what I was doing when I was 22 without all the burdens she deals with. And I was a hot mess and doing stupid things constantly. Oh, I agree with um, you. You know what I talked about, how <laughs> I was only wanting to yell at everyone and, and for years and years and years, not just like in the moment, but for years afterwards with the Casio tracks, I was 22 when that happened. I was the same age wow. at that moment mm-hmm. with zero inner peace and zero acceptance of anybody being different than me. And if you were different from me, you were wrong and I was right. And I mean, I can look at it now as a 32-year-old man and say like, that's, I mean, that's how I handled it in the moment. But that's not how me now would advise anybody to handle the moment. She is that age where... She's already got to that place at the age where I hadn't even begun starting to think about getting to that place. Like, you have to be proud of Paris for finding inner peace. Like, it's for me, it's just an astonishing thing that she can even have inner peace given her circumstances. I did think the way that she was speaking to Sia was she was really trying to kill Sia with kindness and also show that she's not going to bring herself to Sia's level. And by saying that Mm -hmm. publicly, but not saying it, she was being clever about it. I kind of think she was saying to Sia what a little bit like what Michael Jackson says in the song Jam, if I can quote some Michael Jackson lyrics for just one second. Do it, do it. Um, (laughs) from From the song Jam, she prays to God, to Buddha, then she sings a Tamad song. Confusions contradict the self. Do we know right from wrong? I just want you to recognize me in the temple. You can't hurt me. I've found peace within myself. Go with it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so for me... We need, we need to do more of that. We need to do more Michael Jackson quotations. <laughs> for me, M- Michael wrote that. And that's, you know, him getting to a place where people are attacking him and him, him saying, you know what? I'm okay with me. You can say that I'm a freak. You can say that I'm a wacko. You can be racist. You can be condescending to me. You can be jealous. You can say what you want about me, but in my heart, I'm okay. So whatever. And you can be the hypocrite. You can contradict yourself. You can say one tweet to James and Wade, and then a year later, send me the same tweet and contradict yourself. You're the one who's confused. I'm at peace. You do you, baby. I'm doing me. So... Right. And she, yeah, and I thought it was beautiful, and it just it made me think of that that lyric immediately when I saw the interactions. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, you know, I just I just hope Paris doesn't completely write off the Michael Jackson fan community. I understand people's rage, but I hope that we can 
support her and all his kids because they are still young and the only chance we have, I think, of them being on board with this community 10 or 20 years from now is by thinking about what, how we're treating them right now. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely stronger than me. Uh, even I even oh, yeah. I left Twitter <laughs> because I couldn't handle being bullied and it was nothing compared to yeah. what she has to deal with. So We wish you the best, Paris. Yep. Nothing but love. And we do we do not wish you the best, Sia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, which speaking of which, Sia, of course, magically has an album that she's just um, dropping in the midst of all this attention she's gotten. Yeah. Called Reasonable Woman, I believe. So um, that's the only thing I'm going to say about that. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. There must be like uh, a really anyways, so. small or like invisible, <laughs> like UN at the beginning, like... <laughs> unreasonable woman surely has to be the the actual title of that <laughs> we could start a new campaign like uh the uh michael in a Mike, the michael album in a blender um campaign oh of, yes <laughs> the sia album highs. writing a tiny you in on... <laughs> there are plenty of other oh, i man. think there are plenty of other things we could put in a blender um ahead of sia <laughs> like you know this is pretty disgusting and i'm very unhappy about it but you know yeah, <laughs> there are other yeah, things yeah, as well yeah. out there too yeah yes yeah it's true it's true uh okay moving on so now let's talk about someone who is getting out there and really uh defending michael jackson so danny Wu's square one which of course we've talked a lot about um, i was at the premiere last fall which was really exciting and which has sparked a lot of conversation which is great uh has now finally been released on amazon prime around the world so everyone can see it and i think it was even um charting a f- when a few weeks weeks ago and I think it got to be number one or number two on the list of documentaries on Amazon Prime so to me this is great news everybody can see it easily if you have not seen it yet please go watch it I really do think it does a great job of laying out those 1993 allegations and hopefully you can get somebody else to watch it who maybe is a you know just more casual fan um, who hasn't engaged with some of these ideas and questions yet I do know a lot of people who have seen it and their minds have been changed about certain assumptions they had so you know bravo danny you you have a great team behind you i also want to give credit to everybody who is working to help you on this and i just think you're doing awesome things and i hope you continue to keep doing them do you have anything to add on that damien no i um signed up for amazon prime specifically to watch the new version because i hadn't seen like I guess he's calling it the 2.0 version, but it's not obviously not released as that. It's just released as Square One. But I watched the original version the day it came out on YouTube last year, and yeah, I've been really, really uh, excited to see the new version. I I couldn't quite tell what was different about it. I, I couldn't remember too many like significant differences, but it was just for me like it tells the story so well. It's it's. As far as its script and the way that it pieces the puzzle together, it's it's an incredible feat to have achieved that. He's a, a what a filmmaking student. He's not a yeah. He was a YouTuber and a student at the time. Yeah. yeah. So like, f- given that students have a lot on their plate, of course they have their studies, they have their life, they have their friends, and to make a film. And to make the film so successful that, you know, you're flying around the world doing premieres, you've got Jackson family involved, you've got the legal secretary of the of the Chandler lawyers involved, Geraldine Hughes, 
you've managed to find a new witness who's never spoken ever publicly about the case in Josephine Zoni. Like, to, to, to bring all of those things together and to piece the story together and to tell it in such a easy-to-understand yet intellectual way was a very phenomenal feat. The only thing that I would have wished that Danny would do would, would be to bring in someone on the editing side of things to make it visually look like a documentary you would see on Netflix because I think that there are such small things that are insignificant as far as the story and the quality of the the journalism but more so on the side of the aesthetic of the way it looks and feels. Just things like the on-screen text and the way that things are shown to you could have been maybe a little bit different. Like, for example, the tapes of Evan Chandler talking about how he's going to extort Michael. Like, I would really have loved them to have taken those and created something that was unique to the Square One documentary with his own new visual attached to it instead of using the the footage, with the picture of Michael from the 1990s kind of news broadcasts. I feel like, yeah, it would have been nice to see, like, the whole thing become the square one version of everything and in a really, really pristine, top-notch way. And he doesn't need to change the film at all. The film is perfect. I just think there needs, there needs to be some edits because he's talking about taking it to film festivals. And I think if he does that, like, please, Danny, if you're listening, this is not a, an insult to you at all. The film is phenomenal. I've suggested that everybody that I know that I think might benefit from watching it, that they should watch it. I did it when the original YouTube came out. I've done it again with with Amazon. Like I said, I signed up for Amazon just to watch it. It's phenomenal, but please don't take it as a criticism because it's not, but it, I think there just needs to be some aesthetic refinements to get it to really where it needs to be. Because Re- I think you can always you can always be open to to constructive criticism without it being an insult. So I'm trying to explain it that way because I'm pro square one. I've tweeted about it. I've told everyone about it. I'm 100% behind it. Please don't get me wrong. 100% behind it. And if you don't change it, I'll still tell people to watch it. But I think that, yeah, there's some there's some room for improvement there on the aesthetic. No, it's all, it's all good feedback. I, I just hope that um, Danny continues to do other... Michael Jackson related projects. Um, you know, he's very much part of the community at this point and um, I'd love to see his future stuff. So I know he's busy, 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 like traveling all over the place now. He was also stuck, I think, in well, he's from China, but he was stuck there during the quarantine for a while. And I believe he's, I think he's back now. But anyway, we wish you the best, Danny. And just thanks for what you're doing. We know how much work you've put into it. So yeah. I am excited for you. Yep. And this is the story, by the way. I don't mean to keep harping on it. We almost moved on just then. But this is a story that we've been wanting someone to tell for 27 years. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's taken a student filmmaker to do it and to do it on such a grand scale <laughs> where people are just discovering this on an, on Amazon now, like mm-hmm. 27 years later. That's, that's a pretty yeah. astonishing thought, really, that... It's taken a young filmmaker from Canada to do this. Like, how has no one done this Mm -hmm. before? Yeah. But bravo to him for doing it. Like, this is um, amazing. Yeah, just to me, the most impressive thing is just that he's laid it all out in a way that... Because it can be overwhelming to even try to wade through and just laying it all out in a way that's so understandable, whether you already know a lot about the situation or whether you don't. So that's what I think I admire most about it. And being that he's chosen like 
a film as the medium, as the platform, is much more effective. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've personally written articles about it. Um, many of our you know f- fan community friends have done the same, and they've done incredible work. Like there are some fans out there who eat, sleep, live, and breathe defending Michael on this, and have done some incredible intellectual study of the court transcripts and the and the, and the case and the timeline and understanding everything and and can can tell you all the facts but having it presented in a film is is a way that allows it to be accessible and palatable palatable is a big thing like i could write an article and who's going to want to sit there for 45 minutes reading all of my texts and who the hell is damien shields anyway and and, and big fucking deal but the way he's chosen to do it with a film and make it something that's just, you know, everyone wants their next juicy Netflix documentary crime investigation. Right. I'm one of those people. And so so this is going to appeal to people, not just Michael Jackson fans, this is going to appeal to people who want true crime documentaries, who are interested in the crime and the cover-up and the conspiracy and what happened, and you know, the, the information that the public doesn't want you to know. That's what this is. And it's just, yeah... It's perfect. Okay, I'm I'm done now. Yeah. <laughs> we love Square One. We'll always be fans. Keep doing what you do, Danny. <laughs> oh, um, and 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 yes. I can't I can't move on without <laughs> saying can't stop. Charles yes. Thompson is the star of that film. That is Charles Thompson oh, yes. is an absolute yes. absolute legend and hero, and I love Charles Thompson. He is. And that film couldn't be possible yeah. without Charles Thompson. He's absolutely, absolutely. crucial to that film existing mm-hmm. and big up and big love to Charles Thompson. You are now a film star. Yes. And actually one of the big things with the 2.0 version, I think was simply re-recording all of Charlie's audio. Ah, <laughs> yes. I did notice that. I said that I didn't notice any yes. differences, but yes, I did notice that. And that yeah. was very worthwhile doing. Yeah. I mean, he really creates the whole narrative for that film. It's great. Hero. Oh, and you should check out, if you have not, we did not have this as a news item, but um, please do go check out the new true crime slash investigative journalism podcast that Charlie is hosting. He's he's narrating it. And co-producing it. Like, he's recording it himself. And So the actual podcast is called Unfinished, and it's released by the Eastern Daily Press. But the series that Charlie is going to be hosting is... Shubra's Lost Boys. The podcast itself is called Unfinished. So in order to find it, you should search on your podcasting apps for Unfinished, released by the Eastern Daily Press. Subscribe to that. And they'll be releasing the series with Charles Thompson. They've already released other series, which you can go back through and listen to as well. But yeah, the trailer for the Charles Thompson one, Shubra's Lost Boys, is out. You can listen to it. And if you subscribe, then you'll receive the new episodes when they become available. You'll get a notification to tell you that they're out. And we wish Charles all the best with that. That's going to be an incredible series. I'll certainly be listening to it the day that each episode comes out. You'll have my view for sure. Absolutely. Me too. I don't know how Charlie does all he does, but... Oh, Charlie actually has... He lives in this um, parallel universe where there's 48 hours in a day instead of 24. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's how he's managing to be in Danny Wu's documentary, working with Taj, working with Tom Mesero, working on a documentary series here, doing this and that. Yeah. And he doesn't sleep either. So <laughs> he drinks a lot of tea and biscuits. <laughs> I'll never forget English when he was talking tea. about, yeah, he was talking about his, his tea and 
pudding or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. It was so funny. Anyway, moving along. Uh, (laughs) uh, So there is a big update on Robson and Safe Chuck, a big trial update. So there was a hearing in Los Angeles last week on, of all days, June 25th. So Wade and James were there. And as predicted... Dan Reed was there filming, if you can believe it. Um, In any case, uh, while I was not present, but one of my Southern California fan friends, Gigi, did attend the court hearing and gave us a few important updates, which we wanted to pass along. The big news here is that the judge will be separating the two cases. And that is, I guess, because they knew each other as kids and will be witnesses in each other's cases that they really do need to be their own individual cases. So that's the big thing. The other thing is that the estate now has 75,000 pages of documents related to Wade's case. But because as Gigi has written on Twitter, and we'll we'll link this whole thread that she has written up um, in the show notes, because discovery still needs time, and they need to gather more info in regards to Living Neverland, production edits, and let's see, it's in international discovery, it needs more time. I don't really understand. But anyway, in any case, they have a lot of material, there are 75,000 pages of documents. And the big thing really is that there is a date for Wade's case to actually go to trial, which is going to be June 14th of 2021. So if you want to learn more, there is more in this thread. But those are kind of the main takeaways at this point. So thank you so much, Gigi, for reporting on that. Damien, did you have anything else to add on on the information about this no you've covered it okay yeah so that's it um nice to have a mj representative there to let us know what happened uh in happier news the jackson's video and one of my favorites ever for can you feel it has been released on youtube and also michael jackson's history teaser which i have to admit i had not watched the history teaser in a really long time for whatever reason and forgot how awesome it was so it's nice to have these available it does i mean it's i don't know if they've been truly like well, they haven't been like remastered, but they do look like they're like decent quality. Um, anyway, fun to, to have them available officially and to, to go back and take a look at them again. I uh, spent a little time with them today and, and that was great. Did you, I mean, this version, I didn't think there was anything like significantly, there was no major remastering or anything. Um, they were just, they're just available now, really. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I guess the history one is to promote the History 25 campaign that doesn't exist, but the Jack and the Jacksons one was just because was it not already available online? I'm not sure. I guess you know. To be honest, I'm I don't really know. So, but it's officially available now. Yeah. As long as it's yeah. not worse quality than it originally was when it was released, <laughs> then it's perfect. To me, it seemed like it was maybe slightly better quality, but I'm that's maybe me being optimistic. Mm. 
as far as some other newly released stuff, there are some original versions of the 2007 Ebony photo shoot pictures. Those have leaked online. The interesting thing about these is they are not overly photoshopped, which is kind of nice just to see some, you know, unphotoshopped photos of of Michael Jackson and to add to those, you know, Ebony photos that we already have out in the world. So nice to see those. I know that they are being spoken about as newly released but i have a feeling that i've seen those for 10 years really i have a feeling yeah um Mm -hmm. especially there's a a couple that are circulating at the moment that i know for certain that i've seen for 10 years i don't know if there are some new and some being recycled but yeah i've seen them Mm -hmm. and i actually think he looks infinitely better pre airbrushing than after the airbrushing like he doesn't even he doesn't even look like himself after they've They've airbrushed him, really. Like, he doesn't look like the man that stood before the camera for the photo. And that's obvious in in the video footage of the last photo shoots documentary that Craig Williams produced that the estate sued him over. Um... (laughs) Yeah, he looked beautiful in that documentary. Like, there's no need for an airbrush. He he looks the way he looks, and he was beautiful. So, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of those photos for that reason. He always just looked so unreal to me. Well, that's why the Luomo Vogue shoot was better for mm-hmm. me, because he wasn't really airbrushed right. in Luomo Vogue, I don't think. Right. Um, but Ebony was just out of control. Like, he looked unrecognizable. Yeah. to Like, if you didn't know what he looked like during the photo shoot, like the, the way he actually looked, maybe you wouldn't notice anything too strange about the photos. But when you have them side by side with this is the way the photo was before it was touched up and this is what they ended up making it look like, then it's night and day. It's like, it may as well not even be him. Moving along, one really nice thing that's happened during COVID and a lot of us being quarantined in our houses is that a lot of DJs have been doing super awesome DJ sets online. One of the biggest names of them is Questlove, who has been streaming these Jackson family DJ experiences. He calls them quarantine live DJ sets that are all focused on Jackson music. So he's done a bunch of these at this point, and they're all still available on YouTube. We'll have the links in our show notes. And they're really awesome. I will admit I have only gotten to listen to pieces of these just because my life during COVID has been, um, I've been working my my butt off uh, and have been super busy and haven't been able to actually just sit down and like listen to music very often. But everyone has been telling me that he, Questlove, has been playing like tons of demos and just really, really cool stuff that we don't normally get to hear. So I highly encourage you spending a Sunday afternoon listening to some of these DJ sets. They um, seem to be totally fantastic. And I hope to get the chance this holiday weekend myself to actually finally listen to them uh, more deeply. Have you had a chance? to hear them i really wanted to in preparation for the show i really wish i could have sat down and listened to them all but i did i did click the link and kind of flick through and i I, honestly i spent maybe five minutes flicking through um and in that five minutes i maybe picked four different points in the set that i chose to to look at and i heard shout i heard an alternate mix of this time around i heard an alternate mix of who is it he's gone for deep cuts like he's gone for the songs that Mm -hmm. say something but maybe we haven't seen 
be given a platform before, which was really, really nice. Especially hearing Shout in a DJ mashup mix was kind of strange. Just heavy rock sounding mm-hmm. rap song in a mashup. It was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will I will go back and listen to them all in their entirety at some point, but I'm similar to you that although this is lockdown and COVID-19 and staying, you know, away from the world, I've been extremely busy on other things and I haven't had a chance to really kind of give four hours of my day to Questlove yet. Right. <laughs> but we so appreciate Questlove for doing it. Super awesome. I think the series at this point has finished. Yeah, like I said, they're all available still online for now. Is there a reason he's doing them or is it just, it's just because of quarantine? Like, Well, he's been doing other DJ sets as well because of quarantine, but he just focused, I think it's like three of them that are just Jackson's jackson family just just because just because yeah it's amazing good on him well i mean he's so he's i mean he's you know of course like a huge fan yeah yeah yeah, exactly and teaches a class on michael jackson and which would be so much fun to attend can you imagine so anyway but no it's great it's really cool so next on the list another really really amazing content creator john cameron friend of the show he was on our history 25 roundtable last episode definitely check him out he john he's like John is just amazing when it comes to understanding the specifics of how tracks are built and how they work. It's incredible. So in any case, if you're not aware of his audio series slash podcast, um, JC's Musicology, please check it out. Just in general, everything he does is incredible. The new one he's working on, and I don't know the exact release date, but I think it is coming up quite soon, will focus on the off the wall era. So I'm really excited about that. I've been able to hear a little bit of it. And the section I was listening to was about the don't stop till you get enough demo. And so just to give you a sense kind of what John does, he, in this case, like we get, we get to hear the demo and then he breaks it down piece by piece. And you really get to hear, you get to hear all these separate pieces. He pulls everything apart, tells you the story. The demo, for example, has like Janet and Randy playing instruments in the background, like all this cool stuff. He tells you every single piece that's going on. And then he starts pulling it all back together. And he really gives you this incredible sense of the evolution towards the final song in a way that I don't know if anyone else truly could in the way that he does. He makes it understandable. You come out of it feeling like some studio genius when you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, He makes it very accessible and always incredibly engaging. He plays all kind of like demos and like just track versions like we've never even heard before. I don't know where he magically gets all this stuff, but no, he's great. So I'm so excited for this. I cannot wait for it to come out. And yeah, I just love what, what John does. I think he's a complete genius. I'm right there with you. I mentioned earlier in this episode that there were two things that are, were going to be the highlight of the Michael Jackson world for 2020. One of them being the um, Sonic Fantasy documentary about Bruce Swedeen and the making of Thriller. And the other one is this, the John Cameron, JC's Musicology episode on Off the Wall. I've also heard a portion of it in preparation for this show to talk about it. And um, for me, like he's done two episodes on Michael. He's done one about the kind of the dangerous era and one about the history era. And they're both way up there for me as some of my favorite things that I've ever heard produced on Michael. 
but I have to say what I've heard of the Off the Wall one is his finest work. And I've listened to some of his ones about other artists as well. This, for me, is his best work overall of any of the ones that he's done. And he's just crafted a really, really easy-to-understand narrative. Even if you aren't familiar with what Off the Wall is or what its place in history is going in, you will be able to follow the story and understand it. And like you said, Elise, you kind of feel like a musical genius at the end in, in the sense that you have a pretty good understanding of the creative process and the making of the songs, even though you would have absolutely no idea how to maybe explain that to someone else. Like, you can understand it. I can understand exactly what he's telling me, but it has to come from John because John is the one who's so good at explaining it. I couldn't then go and tell someone, hey, this is the process of of this. But John does such a good job where everyone who listens to it can walk away thinking, wow, that was just amazing. So easy to understand. And the source material he's using is phenomenal. Michael gave a lot of interviews in the late 70s and the early 80s before Thriller about that material, a lot of interviews, and he's been able to pull those together really nicely to, to tell the story. You hear a lot of Michael's voice in this. It's um, something that became more and more rare as the years gone on, especially from Thriller onwards. There's not really much material of Michael talking about his art and the anatomy of it and what he, the intention of it was and how he felt about it, partially because he became more reclusive and also partially because sensational stories became more interesting for the media and and the interviewers when they would interview him they would not necessarily ask him about the anatomy of his craftsmanship they'd be asking him more about the anatomy of his face for this it's a really beautiful insight i think the estate could take a lot of notes from john cameron's off the wall documentary in uh for moving forward if they create any documentaries of their own about creative process because it's really really that good like this is where where i say the estate needs to look at involving fans in an official capacity and at least even if it's not in a production sense or even if it's not we're doing the job like consulting us. What does our wealth of knowledge contribute to what they're trying to achieve and how can we help them do something more aligned with what maybe Michael might have done? And fans like this and fans like Remixed by Nick, every time I hear a Remixed by Nick track, I think that is better than anything the estate's ever put out. JC's musicology stuff is in the same vein. Like it's just beautiful i love it i really really love it yeah i agree i would also um even if you decide not to listen to all of the musicology um series which you should but if you do at least branch out of michael jackson a little bit absolutely listen to john's janet jackson episode because he does a whole segment breaking down scream which is super cool and a lot of fun um so yeah definitely one to check out and he just keeps putting out great content so yeah his janet jam and lewis episode is phenomenal it even got the attention of the flight time production crew i think they even talked about it on social media and gave it a bit of a a platform boost and that's a really really great reward for john to have his intellectual analysis of someone else's work recognized by those people who did the work and for them to say good job you've done a great you know and then sharing that with their viewers that's the the ultimate endorsement that's just amazing for john so yeah cool okay so next item 
is more amazing free content for fans. This comes from Brad Sundberg, who, of course, runs in the studio with Michael Jackson um, seminars around the world, which have been put to a halt, of course, because of COVID. He has this past week released a series of videos called Seven Songs, Seven Stories. These are on his Facebook page or YouTube. And he's done this as a way to honor MJ Week, which would you know normally be happening during the COVID restrictions. So this is a series of seven videos, and each one's focused on one song. In each one, he is interviewing a key collaborator who was part of the story of that song. So they're pretty awesome. Damien, I know you've watched all of these. So do you want to start on this one? Again, this is, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the Michael Jackson estate needs to look at the people who are doing of their own free will. No one's forcing Brad Sundberg to to do this stuff. No one's forcing John Cameron to do his work. No one's forcing Pez Jax to write a book or Bryce Najjar or anybody who's doing anything. But we're doing it of our own free will and and the stuff is so good that I can't understand why you wouldn't want to share these kind of things with the platform that the Michael Jackson estate and Sony have the access to reach. So in these videos, Brad's talking to a, a different collaborator in each video And like you said, they're talking about the origins of a different song, but they're more far-reaching than that too. They talk about Michael the person and who he was and what he was like and blah, 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 blah. And the insights are so amazing. He's got a great different mix of different people. He's got Michael Boddicker. He's got Matt Forger, Michael Prince. He has Brad Buxer, like the heavyweights of the Michael Jackson production world. They're all on there. And... The only person I'm, that's missing that I really would have loved to have seen is John Barnes, but I would have liked that too. I love John. He's my John. favorite Michael <laughs> collaborator of all. Like, he's, yeah. <laughs> I love him. But yeah, the insights that are in these, the little nuggets that are in these are just amazing. At one point, Brad actually says in one of his interviews, I can't remember which one it is, but he kind of says like, don't say too much. Like there will be no reason for people to come to my seminars anymore if we just because they were being so detailed with the the conversations and they're amazing. Like I definitely learned some stuff that I didn't know by listening to these episodes. Yeah, the songs that people chose were interesting as well and I don't want to talk too much about the actual content of them, but I would highly recommend people spend time. None of them are longer than an hour. They're all, you know, one hour or less. I think the shortest one is about 29 minutes and the longest one is an hour. So they're not too time consuming and yeah they're they're awesome so this is something that literally if it wasn't recorded in zoom phone calls and put on youtube could have easily have been seven sit down conversations in a studio with proper mics and released on an official michael jackson podcast it it could easily have been that that's how like Mm -hmm. these kind of things could easily be beneficial to many more people than maybe the couple of thousand people who will view them if they by some chance stumble across them on YouTube because outside of the echo chamber of the Michael Jackson fan community, these things don't often resonate. They don't often reach huge audiences, which is a shame because they're worthy of reaching that far. Yeah, I agree with you. I It almost feels a little bit like a tragedy that... It's a waste. 
like you said, probably only a couple thousand people are going to view each of these. And I worry, I worry a lot because so I've gone to Brad's seminars in LA several years in a row at this point, And they're great. And, and these these people he brings in, you know, they want to tell their stories, they want these things to be remembered. And I just like, I mean, I'm so I'm so I'm grateful to Brad that he's bringing them in. So you know, I can hear these stories. But will we get these down recorded in a way that is going to last beyond a, you know, a zoom video, or private events? I certainly hope so. Well, this is the thing with the with the Michael Jackson estate and their, their lack of vision. So for me, like if and I don't want to make this a you know, if Damien Shields ran the Michael Jackson estate, and I'm not, don't even believe that I'm entitled to say that I that I could or that I would if I was able to, but like one thing that would for me make sense for the estate to do, which is something that I believe they should have done ten years ago, is to open the line of communication and build positive relationships with these people because they don't have positive relationships with a lot of these people. Some of them they do, but some of them they do not. And what I believe they should have done is brought each collaborator in and filmed in high definition and good audio quality extensive interviews of every aspect of their working with Michael. And they would have ended up with hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage, most of which they probably would never use, but they would have it for the moment where they potentially may need it. And the problem that the estate is now going to face moving forward when they try to do things like a commemorative edition of Thriller with a documentary or something like that is that really key personnel who worked on those projects are either they're on bad terms with the estate, like Quincy Jones suing the estate, or Rod Temperton is, has passed away. They're losing their opportunities to, to get the true architects of these projects on the record and in a way which they own the license for them. Because like Sonic Fantasy is going to have interviews with Quincy Jones, Bruce Swedean, Brad Buxer, blah, 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 everyone, but they're going to own that. That's not going to be property of the estate. And that's stuff that the estate could really benefit from having, but they're not going to be able to exploit it because they don't own it. And in the opposite way maybe Sonic Fantasy is not going to be able to fully exploit them to the right degree either because they're not going to be able to use Michael's music to accompany the stories of Michael's music. So it's like no one's on the same page. Everyone fights with each other and nothing is kind of... We all say we're all on the same team, but it's like everyone who gets the ball runs in an opposite direction. Like if we all have one goal, why are we all running in different directions? And why are we all trying to keep the ball off of each other instead of working together and helping each other to get to the end goal? Michael's legacy can't possibly be fulfilled to the to the maximum level of its potential unless we all work together. And it's just not happening like that right now. Like I believe the estate could easily sanction Brad Sundberg's seminars to be annual conventions in a similar way to Pez and Kingvention does with Kingvention, which is amazing. And I've seen some of Pez's videos online interviewing some of the different people that worked with Michael and they look like phenomenal exhibitions. But imagine it was the estate doing it and it was Brad Sundberg was able to do this properly without worrying about having to 
you know, sell just enough tickets to make it financially viable and there's a whole bunch of other things to think about because once it becomes a Michael Jackson product from the estate, money isn't an obstacle because they have 72 million people following their Facebook page and how many does Brad have following his? What, a couple of thousand? I don't even know. In that way, like, it's just, it's just, it's so hard to stomach the wastefulness of all of this amazing material like it's going to take a miracle for a member of the general public to ever stumble across this and engage with it and then actually learn something because it's totally inaccessible to them like it's out there but how will they ever find it what what on earth would would encourage someone to search seven songs seven stories on online and then choose something unofficial to then kind of dive down a rabbit hole it just, it, I mean, for me, it doesn't seem realistic. But if, if the Michael Jackson estate with 72 million Facebook followers says, hey, check this out, thing that we produced, podcast series we produced, seven interviews with seven key collaborators of Michael Jackson, then that's something that can potentially find new ears. But everything is stuck in the echo chamber and everything is just, I don't know. I always feel so negative when I talk about it, but I really, really come from a place of we need to push for change and we need to push for better platforms for things because Michael deserves to be heard by more than just 2,000 people. Yeah, even when I was in LA, it was a couple years ago for one of Brad's seminars. I, it was during MJ Week and in LA, in case you don't know, there's lots, lots going on during that week um, around June 25th. I was there for his seminar, but then we, I went to a party um, at the Graph Lab, which is, um, again, if any listeners don't know, it's just right outside of downtown LA. And they have, in my view, the best MJ mural in the US, at least. It's his The Eyes from the Dangerous album, and it's phenomenal. Please look up this mural if you do not know what I'm talking about. Um, but they have a party um, they had a party. I don't know if this will continue uh, right in front of that mural. And anyway, I was talking to all these people who really consider themselves very dedicated fans and kind of bringing up the seminar and like talking about who was there. And even these people who were big fans had no clue what I was talking about. So just to what you're saying, like he's speaking and these events are speaking and this information is speaking to such a little microcosm. And it really is a shame. I think it's a big loss. And a perfect example, again, is the Prince Estate with their podcast. Like I'm not a Prince fan. But I listened to all four parts of that four-part series of the 1999 (laughs) album and deluxe edition with all the bonus material and demos. They captured me because they offered something that was quality and it didn't matter that I wasn't a huge Prince fan. It mattered that what they were offering was good and I engaged with it. And I'm seeing Michael Jackson fans on Twitter at the moment saying things like, oh my God, Like, can you believe how cool this sign of the times reissue is with all of these you know it's eight cds and blah 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 and you know 120 page hardcover beautiful book and a live concert dvd that no one's ever seen before and michael jackson fans who aren't necessarily prince fans are saying i'm gonna get that that's actually cool Mm -hmm. like regardless of the fact i've thought about buying that yeah (laughs) me too like yeah but sorry go ahead And the price point, I think, is around $100 or maybe even under $100. It's $150 American dollars, I think. <laughs> okay. Which is it's, incredibly reasonable for what it it's is. It's less than the jacket that the estate released. Yeah. <laughs> it's less than like a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. Uh, wow. 
<laughs> anyway, please do. <laughs> We're like back oh. to the Brad Sundberg videos. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. check yeah. check them out on YouTube. <laughs> Go check out, especially those if you're an author. Um, if you're a Michael Jackson like biographer or author, mm, uh, and mm. you think you knew everything about every song and every session and every album, like I guarantee you that you'll find something in there that you didn't already know, or that at least makes you search a little bit harder to corroborate and identify the true facts of the sessions because there is some information in there which is just to me like how has no one mentioned this before like this is just really interesting so yeah definitely worth checking out and touching upon what you said about all the songs um it has been a little bit leaky out there lately online there have been in the past month Quite a few major Michael Jackson song leaks that have come out on YouTube. So where do we even start with this? There's a bunch. <laughs> so yeah, just to give you guys and you can look at the channel. It's it's linked right on our show notes. Um, but just to give you a sense of what is on here. So there's a little snippet, a little tiny, tiny snippet of someone put your hand out. There is the entire song of throwing your life away. There's been a lot of discussion around that. And um, what are the, some of the other fun things here? Speed Demon Demo, which I particularly enjoy, which is three minutes long. There's a Victory Tour State of Shock soundcheck audio. And we also have Don't Be Messing Round. Yeah, and there's more. There's a whole channel, actually, that has all kinds of stuff on it. But these are kind of the key ones that have come out. Oh, and there's also an unreleased Jackson song as well, um, which is We Love You from the triumph era these are almost all in pretty terrible quality they're they're bootlegs yeah throwing your life away i would say is kind of the one i would focus on the most it literally sounds like it was like recorded through a sock it's in my view sure as fans like we want this stuff but the super super low quality I don't know. Like, I'm torn. If this is how the song in particular, uh, Throwing Your Life Away, is going to come out into the world, I don't know. To me, it... I know people are dying to hear it, but to me, it just takes a lot of the joy out of having it in the world. And then I wonder, like, because it's come out this way, will it ever properly come out? But maybe it wouldn't have come out anyway for all the reasons we've talked about with the estate already a lot of this stuff there's been discussion about how this is so so many things here would have been perfect for like the bad 25 release you know why did this material not come out already in better quality is this the only way we're ever going to get it i don't know i i feel very torn about all of this stuff i'm happy to have it but eh, i don't know damien what do you have to say yeah this is not the way for it to come out in my opinion i'm not a huge advocate for unreleased content coming out at all i don't even think that it needs to but if it does i feel like it needs to come out in a way that makes sense and where it's put into its proper context so for example bad 25 had a disc with unreleased demos which is fine but there was no explanation of where those demos came from or why they were abandoned or you know what they evolved into or anything like that they did a documentary to accompany Bad 25 but didn't mention them. They didn't do a book to talk about the origins of it either. So for me, like, if they do come out, I think there needs to be a real conscious effort to give us 
the story of of what we what we're hearing and why we're hearing it and why we hadn't heard it before and what it means in the big picture um, and when things leak like you said in the sound quality of sounding like it was recorded through a sock you're not even hearing it the way Michael left it and you're not getting any context of what it is or where it comes from and it's so easy to dismiss or to 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 just if that like you say if that's the way you're going to hear it do we now say oh we don't like we don't want to we don't need to release does the estate say we don't need to release that song now because the fans have already heard it now but we haven't heard it the way that it is we've heard it in a bootleg and it's not the same all of these leaks i i just don't like seeing leaks at all um i think people need to be a little bit more responsible with if you have some of this material like i think it's it's highly irresponsible to be playing god and putting it out there you don't own it it's not yours like come on seriously unless it's in journalistic context like if it's in a documentary like john cameron used a snippet of men in black in his dangerous documentary in context explaining who produced it where it came from that it wasn't complete this is the version that he has it's never been heard before and this is this is the whole scenario surrounding what you're about to hear full context and then a snippet of it okay that's fine but just having these full-blown songs in bootleg quality just randomly floating around the internet, it doesn't feel good to me. But I know a lot of fans love it. People, people, It's actually been the highlight of a lot of fans' day to hear it. Like I've seen so many really positive, beautiful, heartfelt reactions to some of these things that makes me question like... like I, I feel the way I feel, but other people feel different. And I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying how I feel. Uh, and that's how I feel. But I, I'm also maybe a little bit privileged. I've I had already heard that song years ago in full quality, like proper, exactly as it was the way Michael recorded it. So for me, when it leaked, it wasn't like I was hearing it for the first time. I didn't even bother to listen to it because it's, like you said, the sock version. But I've already heard the proper version. So, and the, I think the proper version sounds very, very good actually it's a very very nice sounding recording mm. uh, but you could never possibly know that from the sock version it's going to be called the, the right. sock version now thanks to you <laughs> but then then there are things like the jackson's one the we love you one which sounds full studio quality and actually mixed properly prior to being leaked mm-hmm. which it could come out like that but again not necessarily leaked like give the jacksons some power in the in the like f- for the jacksons that's potentially a um a beautiful asset for them to to maybe one day be able to commemorate their 50 years of hard work and to be able to say here's something that we wrote together as a as a group of brothers in the studio and it never came out and we never finished it but we want you to have it the people that actually created it saying we want you to have it instead of some fan on the internet thinking they are God and saying, ha ha, now I'm going to give you one of the Jackson's greatest assets that they can never now properly commercially exploit themselves, which they should have the right to be able to do because it's theirs. It doesn't belong to the fans. 
we might enjoy mm-hmm. listening to it, we might feel entitled, but your feeling of entitlement does not equal your right. That's not the same thing. So again, mm-hmm. people playing God is just rubs me the wrong way. Because I know there are people who co-wrote some of these songs that have already leaked. Maybe one at one moment they could have potentially had an opportunity to pay their rent from work that they did 30 years ago. And now there's going to be no chance for that to happen because everything gets spoiled and and everyone everything is ruined. And we're partially responsible for that by, you know, to buy it is to feed it. Well, to leak it and to retweet it is to ruin it for the person who created it. So yep. we have to be careful with what we do and in what context and what our part in spreading it and making a bad situation worse is, I feel. Uh, and that's how I feel today in 2020. Who knows how I feel next year or in 10 years yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure what I'm saying right now conflicts with maybe how I felt as a young fan even while Michael was still alive like maybe he was unhappy that some of his songs had leaked while he was alive but I was certainly excited to hear them and I certainly didn't avoid them I was certainly going to listen if it came out but even things like hold my hand when hold my hand leaked like Michael was apparently devastated that something that he thought that there was a chance that he could possibly use this one day in a positive way to, you know, relaunch himself as an artist in the industry was now taken away from him. And now he has to go and find another song that the world hasn't heard. Like, same thing with Escape when that leaked in 2002. Apparently he was furious about it. Yeah, I mean, we say we're here to spread Michael's message and blah, 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 but we do often contradict things that he himself would have not that i'm imagining what he would have said things that he did feel like he actually was upset when hold my hand leaked i'm not imagining that like i've spoken to a producer who was working with michael in the moment that it leaked and who michael confided in how upset he was that it had leaked so this is an imagination or like in, you know, in a dreamland, what does Damien Shields think Michael might have wanted or done? Like this is real stuff. And the real stuff is what we really should try to use as our kind of guide to navigating the Michael Jackson fan world. What do you think? I mean, if some fan come is out there and is like, I am the one who's been leaking all this stuff. What do, what do you say to that person? I'd think that they should never say that because that's... <laughs> not that they would. Not that, that they would. would but let's say move. they... But Yeah, but I just I just don't know. I mean, I don't know. There are people who are just going to do it no matter what. So... Yeah. But I think we do need to all take a hard look at ourselves as fans and make sure that we are remember that every single song represents a collaborative effort that it's not just one like you know dead celebrities song but also like you said um, you might be affecting somebody else who was involved in the life of that song and now it can never be released in the right way and maybe even releasing it will stop you know the estate from putting it on an album later on because it's not technically an unreleased song anymore so we do need to be really mindful of these choices i fully agree yeah 
But I hope that if you were really excited about them being leaked, that you at least enjoyed them. <laughs> well, it's done. I mean, what's done is done. They're, they're out there. now. Like we're done. not. Yeah. We can't yeah. change that. That's out. So. Yeah, that's yeah. You're right. Here at the MJ Cast, we love putting together a show that celebrates Michael Jackson's legacy and which our listeners can enjoy. Oftentimes, listeners do ask us how they can help support the show. One simple way is to go to the mjcast.com slash shop, and you can see our merch items available. All of these items have been designed especially and originally by Jamin, and they're great. And you can put any design on any product of your choice. You can put them on a classic t-shirt, on a dress, on a mouse pad, a throw pillow, a tote bag, a coffee mug, whatever you want. It's all completely customizable. As far as our awesome designs, we have styles such as our classic podcast logo with the beautiful sunset in the back. We also have a style of our logo shirt, which shows all the different designs that we use throughout the year for different holidays. And we have some really cool text designs, such as the shirt that has all of Michael Jackson's album names on it, or the brothers' names, or one of my personal favorites, the Captain EO characters' names. You can check all of these out at the mjcast.com slash shop, and it will take you directly to our Redbubble storefront. It doesn't matter where in the world you're based, Redbubble can get products to you. And they're a good low price point as well. All profits go to supporting our show running costs, as well as making charity donations occasionally throughout the year. We so appreciate your support and hope that you enjoy perusing the shop and also showing your love for the MJ cast. Again, that link is themjcast.com slash shop. You can also go to Redbubble and search the MJ cast and you'll find us there as well. Thanks so much for supporting our podcast. Okay, well, let's jump into, oh my gosh, our last news <laughs> item. Oh my God, this is such and a long episode. A- I hate long episodes and I'm <laughs> I'm partially responsible for this one being a long episode because I can't stop talking. <laughs> That's okay. You have lots of genius things to say. So no, listening to you. just talking, uh- <laughs> talking shit. We're going to talk shit a little bit more with this last news item. This is going back to History 25. Oh, God. And and the estate and how how they decided to handle History 25. We'll start with the way they decided to celebrate History 25 on their website with a new capsule collection of merch. Have you seen this merch, Damien? Yes, I've seen this merch. What do you think? Are you buying all of it? I am. I couldn't be less interested in in their merch, honestly. And I don't. I'm not. Again, I'm not. Their merch is pretty bad. <laughs> Sorry, go it's ahead. not even that it's bad or that it's good. It, it it's yeah. My issue is it is a slightly strange approach to say that you are celebrating an album, which is music. By releasing apparel, it's mm-hmm. I, I can understand if you're releasing a commemorative version of the album, and you also get a piece of apparel with it. But for me, like the thing that got missed in in their history twenty five shenanigans is history, the album, the music, somehow. 
the most important component, the thing that they're supposed to commemorate was the one thing that wasn't included with anything. I mean, you can get a snapback, you can get a hoodie, you can get a neck gut. I didn't even know what a neck, what is it, neck gator? Neck? I had never <laughs> yeah. even heard of that term before until the Michael Jackson estate released one with the, sing- the scream slash childhood single right. cover copy and pasted on it. <laughs> like really, like for, yeah. for me, it's, it's difficult to get behind these things when the point is missed. Mm-hmm. And, and for example, like on the official Michael Jackson YouTube channel, which has millions of subscribers, can you imagine if the MJ cast history 25 style episode or Brad Sundberg's seven songs, seven stories was specifically history focused and properly filmed and put on the, like we could be actually quite happy with people sitting there who were in the studio with Michael creating this album, telling the tales of how that whole thing came together and and just having them given to us on YouTube doesn't have to be an, a, 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 box with eight discs in an unreleased concert and blah 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 like it can be something that's creative process and artistry focused because when michael jackson gave us history he gave us an album of music that's what i want to learn about and engage with and it's kind of been the only thing that's been ignored in the whole thing even the only video they uploaded was the trait was the promotional video for the album which they didn't talk about it's confusing to me and especially in this moment when history in particular this album is more relevant than ever and is getting so much organic attention also through the protests going on and everything and then i think i don't know who it was got well, maybe it was you got an email from the estate that like there what there were no plans for history 20 five celebrations because of of covid and yeah and that was really getting in the way of being able to put anything together it wasn't me it wasn't me that received that email but i did see i did see the email for me that's just a massive insult because basically to put that into context i don't know if a fan contacted the mj online team or if they just sent out like a kind of bulk email to some of the prominent fans that are on their mailing list that they often keep updated but there was an email that went out that basically said that due to the state of the world, which was prior to the protests really going full-blown, like it was it was specifically talking about COVID-19, that history won't be commemorated in the way that it deserves to be, which is to me an insult because what's their idea of commemorating it the way that it should be? Is that a documentary? Is that a commemorative reissue of the album or something like that? If so, like, they should have been working on that for, you know, years prior to this moment if it was ever on their radar to give to us. If the estate two years ago said, look, the 25th anniversary of history is going to roll past and we know the fans will be expecting something, so let's create something. They should have been working. So it shouldn't have affected that COVID-19 popped up out of nowhere. If they had already been working on what they were working on, it should it should have been done. So 
it should have just been push a button to give it to us. And like, for example, if it's a documentary, which I think is always something nice to have a documentary about certain albums, COVID-19 is the perfect moment for a documentary to come out. People are literally on lockdown, trapped in their house. They've exhausted their their Netflix libraries. They haven't got anything new to watch. And it's a moment where documentaries are really having a huge presence in people's lives. Like, for example, the Michael Jordan documentary series, The Last Dance. Huge success. Even something so ridiculous and stupid, and I didn't watch it because I started watching it and I thought it was just absolute bullshit, Tiger King. Like, all around the world, everyone's engaging with this stuff. And so it's a perfect time to give people something. Like, people that just bored at home with no joy in their lives and suffering from mental illness. And, you know, it's, a, it's not a good moment. So a bit of joy would have been lovely in this moment. But yeah, they blamed the moment for not giving us something that the moment would have been perfect for. Like, it was kind of weird. I don't know. I, I don't begin to try to understand why they do what they do because I think that's a really, really counterproductive thing to do in life is to try and understand why somebody else does what they do. So who who cares what their thought process is? But it's the action that that you can assess and the action is they didn't do anything and that's just annoying. So... Right. The inaction is annoying. Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. The constant inaction or late action. Yeah. And I don't know if they feel like that there's some pressure on them to give us like a whole disc of unreleased songs or something. I know like a lot of fans want that. But they're like I said, with Brad Sundberg's videos, if they were official or if the MJ Cast's style of roundtable discussion was official, it offers a huge amount of content and a huge amount of insight and a huge amount of learning and intellectual analysis of the work that needs to be recognized and commemorated and it doesn't have to give any new material at all but it can still be satisfactory it can still give people something to to cling on to and to engage with and to enjoy and yeah i don't know i think that maybe they're too got too much tunnel vision about what they think commemorative campaigns and and reissues and things like that are at this moment in time, even on iTunes, history is in the greatest hits category. It's like in a, it's in the compilation category because the first disc is a compilation. It's not even mm-hmm. in Michael's standalone studio album library on iTunes. So the least they could have done is separated the album from the greatest hits and put it in 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 the studio albums section for maybe some new people to discover. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that. Huh. Mm. Well, if any of you do want to buy some merch, if you want some really <laughs> overpriced hoodie, or if you want to gate a net gator, I, I did the one the one item I probably liked a little bit was the dangerous net gator. So you could kind of have like MJ's like eyes like on your nose or something. Okay, if we're talking about one thing, I, there was one item of merch that I thought was real. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah. In general, the concept was stupid, but if you if you analyze everything, each item on its own merits, there was one item that I thought, that's really actually a nice design. And then I looked further, it was only available in women's. So... <laughs> what was it? What it was, was like it? An, a really wide, open-necked, kind of like a something you can wear as an off-the-shoulder, off-one-shoulder, or like really open-necked, long-sleeve shirt. 
and it had like a decent design on there. I didn't like any of the designs okay. except that particular one. That was kind of kind of cool, but it was women's only. So you could you could totally pull it off. Oh god. <laughs> you know, just like uh swish that long hair like it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. But like but it, even 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 with, you know, they've released, you know, 20 different items in their merch store and there's only one that I like and yeah. I'm just me and my personal taste is not reflective of any level of actual fact it's just how I feel so I'm not saying that everything that I think is good is good and everything that I think is bad is bad but it is kind of a big miss to to only have one item in a store that some particular person even thinks is nice to look at and I wouldn't even buy it like even if it was in men's I wouldn't buy it but I did like it I did think it was nice right. looking no the designs are overall terrible I, I don't understand how they are not doing better at this point well, yeah again the fans are doing better oh certainly um yeah okay well we have been on quite a journey today this has been a you know two and a half three hour news focused regular episode thank you guys for sticking with us um there's just been so much going on and lots more to come i'm sure and damien just want to thank you so much for being part of this you've added incredible things to this discussion you have so much knowledge and insight and i love having you on episodes as much as possible so thank you so damien where can people find you if they want to connect with you online Um, at the moment they can't find me online i'm not online okay well that is all right too i certainly understand and it's because you're off doing brilliant things if you do want to experience more of damien's thoughts and work i do highly encourage you to check out his book which is available on amazon it's called michael jackson songs and stories from the vault it's really incredible includes lots of amazing interviews and all kinds of stuff um it's really is you know damien puts so much emphasis on looking at the context of certain tracks, the real history of um, these stories around these particular moments in Michael Jackson's life. And so this book really does look at the uh, histories and stories behind various songs. So do be sure to look up that book. Um, and uh, and then for us, the MJ cast, you can find us anywhere online. We're on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, and YouTube, all under the MJ cast. Feel free to engage with us in any of those places. We love hearing from you and hearing what you think. Also, if you did enjoy this show and has have not rated and reviewed us yet on Apple Podcasts, we ask you if you please would do that. It really does help other people fans find us. A lot of what we've talked about today has been how to, you know, spread the work that content creators are doing so that we can all share together in this great information that's coming out about Michael Jackson's legacy and history and his music. So the more you share, the more we can help do that. And I think that's about it for the show today. This has been quite an epic episode, Damien. Thank you again. Did you have any last tidbits to add? No, don't get me started. It's already too long. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On that note, thank you guys so much for joining us. We will see you in a few more weeks with an awesome special episode that will be dropping very soon. And in the meantime, stay bad.
And all of the fans are allowed to sell their merch except one particular group. You can edit this out. I'm just being sassy. Who's getting takedown notices? <laughs> oh, well, do you know someone stole our logo and started selling it on another t-shirt shop? No. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to be the one to go and have them taken down. <laughs> For a second, I kind of felt like the estate a little bit. <laughs> That is actually crazy. I know. It was really weird. <laughs> Did you ask them for a percentage of their profits? Or all of their profits? <laughs> I should have done that. I should have done yeah, that. Yeah. But no, they just blatantly took our, our podcast logo and we're selling it on t-shirts. No. Yeah, that's a little... Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Jamin put so much effort into creating yeah. everything unique, like handcrafted from scratch. Nothing that oh, even yeah. like takes an official image and photoshops it or anything. Like it's, I mean, like the the pose of Michael is based on a photo, but it's an a fully from scratch created original piece of Jamin Bull art. Like how the fuck can oh, yeah. they? Anyway, 